General Nerdery. Here at General Nerdery, we pride ourselves in bringing you a diverse and varied array of topics to discuss. Like last week, we discussed Good Omens, and this week we are here to discuss Good Omens. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And once again with us is my beloved wife. Cecilia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was not expecting the, like... <laughs> None of us were. <laughs> I don't think she was either. Anyways, uh, as I said last week, we talked about Good Omens the book. This week, we are going to talk about Good Omens the TV show, because apparently two hours was not nearly, and it wasn't, it was not nearly enough time. Um, no. We could have easily <laughs> kept going. Oh, yeah. But. Yeah. I could, yeah, I could talk for a very long time about my favorite book. That's. Yeah, I had the thought, man, we should do a, like, read-through, like, podcast, because I don't have enough podcasts going already, apparently. I have a problem, guys. I had something to say, but it, I just <laughs> lost gone. it. It's, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Um, on that note, what has everyone been ingesting this week? Ooh. Uh, yeah, I'll start off. Uh, they dropped a new hero in For Honor. So I did a, not as much of that as you would guess with how often I bring it up on this podcast. There's but about I a 20% chance that For Honor is your answer, I've noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, for there being an all-new hero, I didn't play it as much as you would guess. I definitely had to try it out, though. Enjoying him, I just really suck at playing him, so... What's the new hero? His name's Griffin. Um, from the Griffin s- McElroy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, your favorite baby brother. <laughs> There is technically a storyline in For Honor. There is? Yes. <laughs> I've, had, I've watched friends play that game for like three years, and I did not know that. Uh, partially because you've probably never seen them play the story mode, because the spaghetti... There's a story mode? The spaghetti code for that game makes it so that whenever they update the multiplayer, they actually can't update the story mode. So all of the story mode game mechanics are still set in like version one that seems like poor planning (laughs) it really is but um the new character is literally from like the story mode a character named holden cross it's supposed to be that he became disillusioned with the uh the lawbringer order that he was a part of set out as a mercenary across all of the different uh cultures and realized how much better they could make things if they just worked together instead and so he's the griffin because he's the the coming together of the three animals and sh- or two animals and whatever. And I'm not gonna lie, I listened to most of that, but you said the name Holden, and for some reason I went to Catcher in the Rye and was trying to figure out a way of making jokes about something being phony, <laughs> but it was too much of a deep cut even for me. <laughs> um, I'm a terrible yeah. podcasting host companion, <laughs> but so he's just like a big old dude with a bardiche. It's pretty sweet. That does sound fun, yes. And he swings it around in, like, the widest arcs of, like, any character in the game. So you're just hitting (laughs) everybody in combat. Friends and foe alike. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the kind of character I usually play. I mean, Um, not for honor, because I've never played, but... Yeah. Um, And then beyond that, I read Stephen King's The Running Man. Nice. Because this isn't going to matter to most people when I say this, because Rick lent it to me. <laughs> That's, I get it. <laughs> um, Wait, Rick uh, from, of course. okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. What other what other Rick would we? I don't know. The same the same Rick who every time he sees me gets very excited because he can talk about Avatar and recently Legend of Korra. Yeah, because he's been going through it. Yes. He's uh, been very excited, and he's he uh, thanked me very sincerely the other, the other day for not doing any spoilers while still being willing to talk to him about it. So, for those who don't work at the good food store, which is at least ten other people, um, <laughs> Rick is our somewhat strange but well-intentioned middle-aged manager. <laughs> <laughs> Great guy. I have, however, worked directly under him, and it's not as great. Somewhat strange, man. Yes. Yeah. Um, but holy shit, like, if anyone else out there has had this experience in the past few years where you suddenly see, like, all of Stephen King's tweets go, like, viral and trending because he's actually, like, pretty woke, it seems like. He's a pretty interesting guy for someone who has written some really problematic shit over the years. Yeah. Um, suddenly, after reading Running Man, all that makes a lot more sense. He has been going for the people for a long fucking time now. There's still some problematic stuff in that book. It's still a Stephen King novel, yes. Um, but some of it's... It's hard, because some of it is obviously, like, in the character kind of intentional kind of what we were talking about last week of figuring out the the line between where's the character talking and where's the author right talking. right um so some of it is definitely the character talking like it's pretty obvious but there's other things where i'm like you're using that a little freely buddy yeah <laughs> um that being said if all you've ever seen is the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, do yourself a favor and go to, like, I The Source. I forgot that was based off of Stephen King. Very loosely based, well, it yes. turns out. <laughs> Very loosely based, it turns out. But um, it's a guy basically sells himself to, uh, to uh, the major network that runs all the networks to be on a TV show called The Running Man, where he gets hunted for 30 days by a professional team of manhunters. Uh, he gets a 12-hour head start. He earns $100 every hour he stays alive. That's a terrible price. This is $100 every hour he's alive, where most people that are poor are scrounging their nickels. Okay. I mean, also, I make 15 bucks an hour, and I'm doing pretty well for myself, so... A hundred bucks. Yeah, I get it. But also, like, Jesus Christ, man. Uh, but he's having to do it because uh, his only job option was causing him to be sterile. And so he quit and wasn't able to hold down a job. And now his, like, year-old daughter is sick with the flu and can't even afford meds. So it's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that and then, like, in the Running Man, the game, like, nobody's lasted more than eight days. And, yeah, it's really fucked up. Like, The Running Man isn't even the worst show on the network, in my opinion. It's just the most popular and the one that always ends in death, whereas some of the others only end in, like, maimings and stuff. Only sometimes end in death, yeah. But there's other things where they'll, they'll take, like, heart patients and, like, put them on a treadmill. And the longer they can last, the more money they make for their families. Shit like that. Real fucking bleak dystopian future. When did this yeah. book come out? Um, 
80s, probably. 80s, yeah. I, I want to say early 80s. Okay. Because it's all set actually like now. I yeah. think it's actually set next year. Of course. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> I love reaching the point or passing the point of the future. Yeah. Of, uh, for example, we're almost past Iron or er, 2020. Thank God. Uh, and a couple of my favorite comics from the early 90s, late 80s were all were Machine Man 2020 and Iron Man 2020, which was like the dark, grim, dystopian future. All right, your like styling was wrong, but honestly, some of it you were like disturbingly accurate on here, big guy. Ooh, that was kind of the feeling I was getting from Running Man too. I'm like, ooh, some of this happened way faster in the book than it has in real life, but some of this is all too real. All too real. Anyway, that was me. My love? Well, I haven't absorbed much other than I had a really good Pokemon community uh, community day weekend because it was a two-dayer. Um, I managed to catch six shinies yesterday, so that was cool. Woo! Um... Of course, Mando. Of course, Mando. I've been thinking about that all day. I'm going to do one quick, not really spoiler, but spoiler here. So just skip forward like 30 seconds. Yeah. I do find it interesting that they have included Boba Fett. They still have him as one of the most terrifying badasses ever, and yet he still manages to do almost nothing <laughs> in every one of his appearances. <laughs> I don't know. He didn't do a goddamn thing this episode. This episode, but the episode the, before. He, yes. But he, <laughs> Holy but, shit, that one. <laughs> but he also has, like, the funnest toys. Mm-hmm. Like, and I actually kind of like the repainted armor. Oh, he was looking so fresh when he came. <laughs> I was just like, oh, look at it. Look Apparently, at it. the fan community's been like, why would you do that? And he's like, because someone else fucked up his old armor, and you can't wear the scars of, like, someone else. Yeah. So he looks fly. some fresh scars. <laughs> Fresh paint. Fresh scars. Fresh scars. That's right. Um, sweet. Yes. We'll be doing a Mando episode in like a, a month. I think we set it up for something like that. Yeah. So, because <laughs> it's ending this week, so it, I think they announced winter twenty. It's almost a full year. It's almost until a we full get, year. Yeah, as opposed to the like nine months we had last oh. time. I know. Oh. I know, but we have a ton of Star Wars, like, honest to God. There's... Yeah, so we're not going to hold out a full year and talk. wait to talk about <laughs> it right beforehand. <laughs> Fuck that noise. We're going to talk about this shit when it's done, so. But, sorry, I distracted us. Anything else you wanted to... Uh, no, I haven't done a whole lot the, the last week. Um, I assume you're going to talk about the new audiobook we started listening to. I'm going to briefly mention it. Because but... it's new for you, but it's, you know, not new for me. Uh, we started Good Omens. We were listening to it on, not Geek Good Love. Omens, sorry, Geek Love, wrong G book. Geek Love on the way to and from work. I don't have much to say about it yet because we are three chapters yeah, in, three like chapters. not, not very far. Uh, it's fucking weird. And I now understand why I put it down when I was 13 and trying to mm. read this book. I knew one of my stepsisters had bought it for me. And I messaged both of them being like, were you the one that did this? And both of them were like, yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> and then I met, and then I talked to them, and I actually talked to my stepmom about it too today. And mentioned that we were listening to it, and they're all like, I love that book. And I'm like, yeah. Someone bought it for me when I was 13, and I tried it, and they all went, oh, God, no. <laughs> like, it was one of you. <laughs> like, 
one of you three <laughs> but, you is know, guilty look, of buying me this book when I was 13 and way too young. Looking to back read. at it, they were like 20 at the time as yeah. opposed to 40 now. So I get what they were like. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, have to, I have something like that, as my parents will not admit to which one of them bought me the uh, Toxic Avenger cartoon toys. Oh, yeah, yeah they that, did was, a... that was some terrible product research uh, before. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Um, let's see. The, the thing I'll talk real quickly about, though, is I believe I've mentioned on this show, one of my ultimate guilty pleasures in the world of comic books is strange fucking crossovers. Mm. The weirder, the better. Batman Predator, great. Red Sonia Tarzan, one, legitimately annoying about how honestly good that book was, and two, how the hell did that even come up? Yes, I want everything to do with that. Um, the one that came up as one that I read this week was not, the idea is not as weird as that, but it's one I never would have thought to do myself, which is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. For some fucking reason... The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are having this goddamn renaissance in the comics. I know Kyle Higgins start, helped with that. Kyle Higgins, Steve Orlando, who wrote uh, Midnighter, which mm. we did an entire episode about Midnighter. Steve Orlando's fucking amazing. Kyle Higgins is very good, too. Uh, writing about the fucking teenagers with attitude. And I've tried them. I'm sorry. It's still horseshit. <laughs> like, it is well-drawn. It is as well-written as you can get. While still being the fucking Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, people who enjoy it, more power to you. But man, it's bad. But it crosses over with Ninja Turtles really fucking well. And that is some of the most fun I've had reading a comic book in a long goddamn time. Hell yeah. Um, also, I can't remember who the writer is, but he legitimately had some of the best voices I've ever ha read for the Turtles. Nice. And... Making fun of the Power Rangers while openly being like, fuck yeah, Ninja Turtles. I'm recognizing my own get the fuck over yourself there. <laughs> but for some reason, Turtle comics lately have been really goddamn good and I'm almost mad about it. Now, on the Power Ranger side, I've actually been meaning to try out that Shattered Dimensions. Yes, me too. Or Shattered Grid, is that I it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think it's Shattered Grid. It... It, like, fucking went through, like, three printings, which is insane for a comic book anyways, let alone fucking Power Rangers. Uh, I was reading a thing from someone in the industry that was, like, making fun of Boom for getting the Power Rangers license and trying to advertise it. And then, like, a year later, it was one of the best-selling comics on the market. And they're like, what? How the hell are you competing with, like, Batman? You're the Power Rangers! <laughs> Hey, when when you're gonna make an alternate universe Tommy like the big bad evil guy? Have you seen that? It looks even for Power Rangers like. Oh yeah, no, it looks ridiculous. silly. Oh no, it looks silly as shit. That said, I <laughs> like. I even when I have fucking hated Power Rangers, which I have for most of my life, but I did love them when I was a kid. I'm not gonna pretend that I was always that fucking hipster. I have always kind of liked the look of like the Japanese. Uh, mm. what is it, Super Sentai or something like that? Yeah. Teams, the, the the Power Rangers look. Yeah, yeah, that that it's whole just, thing. It's just everything else about it that I end up having problems with. 
This was definitely going over well on an all audio. Form. Yes, and especially <laughs> telling them this is going well and still not explaining exactly that you were doing hand motions. <laughs> I assume at this point that they just are aware that we're constantly like fucking like cheer team. It's up to them to think of what hand motion I was making. <laughs> Stir in the pot. So we said we were going to start the Fantastic Four of the week this week, the new news. But then Disney decided to lose its goddamn mind when it came Holy to announcements. Shit. The number of announcements last week. Goddamn investors meetings. This is overwhelming. And that was just the Star Wars stuff in your case. Like, I didn't really talk. We right. didn't really talk about, like, the, the fucking Marvel overload. Right. Well, and then... Um, then Jordan comes up to me and starts talking to me about all the Nintendo and oh, Game Jesus. Awards stuff. And I oh, was yeah, like... Oh, yeah, because they announced some shit at the Game Awards. And I was Awards. like, this is too much. This is too <laughs> much. Done. There's too many announcements. Sephiroth coming to Smash. Oh, I did know about that. And because everyone in the good food store is like real gamers, except for pretty much the two of us, <laughs> um, they assumed I just knew what was going on. Oh. And I don't know how many times I need to explain to my coworkers that I don't own a copy of Smash Bros. <laughs> I keep meaning to buy one, but I, I, I don't. Uh, uh, somewhat related, uh, I was asked by a coworker um, yesterday, I think, no, well, day before yesterday, if I always played um, crowd control in World of Warcraft back in the old days because my nickname is Cece. And I was like, oh, honey, I never played World of Warcraft. That's never really <laughs> That's really fucking funny. <laughs> I was like, don't worry, I know what crowd control is, but I didn't play that on World of Warcraft. <laughs> no, I think the only MMOs... You played some League for a while. I played League for a hot second. And you and I played and a I bunch of Republic. A jun- I was definitely a jungler and not a uh, CC character. <laughs> um, oh, I should have... Yeah, I should have told him I played Old Republic. He probably would not have known what that Ooh. one was. Old Republic, I would love to play again. That was... I even played a little bit Old Republic. It was a good time. Every six months or so, she and I were like, God, we wish we had time to dive back into... But it's time time for things. I know. God, being an adult sucks. Especially when it comes to, like, MMOs. Oh, you we were really just, need just to have nothing going on in your life to really yeah. be able to get into those properly. We were just getting to the fun parts. We were going to see the Revan bits, which I've always wanted Ooh. to fucking, like, get to... And then life took off, and I haven't touched it in, like, four years. Yeah. Probably been about the same for me. Although I never got that far into it. But I was still having fun screwing around with my Sith Inquisitor. I think we both <laughs> finished the main storyline for our characters. Uh, I did for my um, I did for my Jedi Counselor. I didn't for my Smuggler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I did for my Knight. And then... Yeah, we actually paid money for it. Like that's like I know I did too. I don't weird. fucking pay money for MMO like yeah. for and much any video game. Pogo's gotten a little bit of my money just because if I'm like, all right, I've played like 300 hours of you. You've mm. earned five bucks. Yeah. Pogo won't take my money. I've tried. <laughs> that's <it's pretty> <laughs> but anyways, to the news and not a 10 year old video game. Fine, fine. We're going to, so there's all of the fucking news. We're going to try to get through this kind of quick, uh, especially because some of this shit, like we've talked about some of this before. Some of it was, is just more like clarified. There was enough that I considered doing or trying to ask for a like news alone episode, but making you edit two episodes in a week was uh, 
cruel and unusual. I would have considered it for all of this news, but... Um, first, we'll start with some of the stuff that we can probably just gloss over real quick. Uh, there are going to be some streaming series for Disney Plus based off of some of the Pixar shit. There's going to be Baymax based off of Big Hero 6. Uh, there's going to be a Zootopia Plus, uh, a Tiana show from Princess and the Frog, as well as a Moana show. Ooh. Obviously based on Moana. Uh, Moana, if they're getting Lin-Manuel Miranda to come back and do some more songs for it, I'm a way more in Excellent. than I am on its own. We don't know. That's... That would be so excellent. Though. Yeah. If they do that, I'm in. Otherwise, like, cool. I'm for it, but... Um, I mean, it could be... I mean, it could be also, um, even if you didn't get Lynn mm-hmm. to come back and do more songs, um, it's still, like... I mean, you still have, like, a Polynesian heroine. That's very true. Strong that's... female leader. Like, you could still have some very excellent storytelling that fills an important niche that we don't get a lot of. That's very fair, and I should clarify there that it's not so much like, oh no, they shouldn't make it, but just it didn't pique my interest as much. Right. But we're still gonna check it out, I'm sure. Like, we fucking love Moana. I know most of that soundtrack by heart, probably. Because <laughs> uh, we sing it at each other a lot. A lot. You're welcome. Uh, especially that one. Uh, and your goal in life is to find a, shab- uh, a shiny crabby so you can yes. name it Tamatoa. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so there's a whole lot of singing I'm sure. I would just straight up name it Jermaine Clement, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just need to get two. <laughs> um, Baymax, I think, is really interesting. I'd rather they would have just done a Big Hero 6, which I know they've done a Big Hero 6 cartoon for, like, Disney Channel or something like something that. Something like but that, like, yeah. Do a, do a full-on Big Hero 6. Get as many of the original cast back as you can. I am excited for it because I always thought Big Hero 6 has been massively underrepresented when it comes to great superhero shows. I wonder if it's focusing too much on Baymax, if it will oversaturate the character. Like, I, I, I kind of wonder, Baymax is so charming, but part of it is because he's not in every single Bit. moment. They, yeah. they, they did a very good use of him without overusing him. I, I'm curious if that'll change in... He's the in main Baymax. Character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's Baymax with an exclamation point after it. So it's not just Baymax, it's, it's Baymax! <laughs> that said, Scott Adson as Baymax is one of the most charming performances I've ever seen. So. Um, not already based on a property, there's also going to be a show called Iwaju. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, that's going to be a collaboration with a Pan-African production company named Kugali, and it's going to be an Afrofuturistic tale set in Lagos, Nigeria. That could be really fun. I love everything about that sentence, yes. Theatrical, not series-wise, Encanto is going to be the 60th 60th, uh, original animated series, or not series, movie, movie from Walt Disney, uh, inspired by Colombian culture. Cool. Aren't they doing a East Asian one too? That's with... going to be the one right before. That's uh, Kelly Marie Tran and Raya and the Last Dragon. That one also sounds pretty cool. Less uh, white people princesses, and it te- tends to be turning out pretty well. And I'm going to skip over a couple of these others. There's a uh, like if you want to see more of the dog from Up, there's going to be a Doug Days. <laughs> Adorable, but again, like. 
Are you sure you really want to base an entire series around this? In my opinion, the exciting one from Pixar, because this is this is one of those pieces of news that I didn't realize I wanted this product so badly. <laughs> Lightyear starring Chris Evans. In the Toy Story universe, Buzz Lightyear toy is supposed to be based off of a movie series. Yes. So they're giving us the movie. Oh. And Chris Evans is doing it. Yes. They've got Captain America to play Buzz Lightyear. Yes. I am so much more into this than I was when I assumed it was Tim Allen recurring the role. No, Chris Evans. Chris Evans is worlds better than Tim Allen in literally everything. Galaxy Quest is super fucking funny. I can't get over that. I have kind of come to hate Tim Allen. No, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I've watched Last he Man Standing. That's all we need to say. Um, I watched, you mean... Your dad anymore? put on Last Man Standing and I didn't leave the room fast enough. <laughs> Uh, I have a, I have a friend whose uncle was uh, cellmates with him back in the day. Woo. Tim Allen went to prison. Tim Allen went to prison a number of times. Drug that problems. Oh, that, that tracks. Surprise. That doesn't surprise. Mm-hmm. Pixar's out of the way. Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, real quick, do we want to do Marvel first so we can end with something that we all have something to say about? Yeah, we could do Marvel first. Not to just, like, put you in the corner quietly for a while. I just don't want to be like, you're all gauged up. Now be quiet again for a bit. <laughs> Let me just make sure I have that in front of me like right now. Me to be quiet and opposed to, we don't it's really fine. follow Marvel that closely. I, I mean, yeah, I pick up a little bit Marvel here and there, but... You know who Bengal is. Of, you're doing I, better than most people. I kind, I, I kind of live mentally in the Star Wars universe. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all try to. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Marvel side, then. We got to see more from WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Loki, and What If. All things we already knew were coming. What if... We we hadn't seen anything from What If before. We were just told that it happened. The trailer came out. The thing that interests me about it beyond just, ooh, let's use Uatu the Watcher, is, uh... What if T'Challa was the Star-Lord is the greatest idea I never knew I needed. When you told me that, because <laughs> I, I that was the trailer you were watching on your phone, and I made a comment about, I can't actually tell what this trailer you're watching is for, because every single trailer has identical music. Mm. And I was like, you could be watching a trailer for anything right now. And you, so then, of course, you had to explain to me what it was you were watching, and you said, like, uh, for example, what if T'Challa, and I would... <laughs> And I just cracked up. I was like, that sounds amazing. I definitely want that story. They get fucking Chadwick Boseman for... I mean, he recorded it before he died. Right. Uh, one, they didn't I just get didn't, him just last week. No, th- <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, one, I didn't know we had more Chadwick Boseman Black Panther anywhere to get. Mm. So it's just exciting as is. Yeah. And two, that is an idea that lets them have fun. And also, if they really want to, they can touch, like... Put in Easter eggs to the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. I'm sure they do. There's so many Easter eggs in the two trailers we watched before this. But I think as while we were watching it, as I said to you, as fun as an idea as as fun of an idea as it is, I would kind of prefer to see Killmonger as Star Lord, especially because I think it makes more sense. It's like, what if instead of them picking him, picking, um, fucking what's his name, T'Challa? No. Star-Lord. Oh, uh, Peter Quill. Instead of picking Peter Quill up after his mom dies, pick Killmonger up after his dad gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. 
that seems to make more sense to me, but... That would, yeah. I mean, they didn't just take Peter because his mom died. Right, but... but, You can substitute that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would super have watched that, too. I'm just... I'm on board with this one because it lets them do more weird things. Yeah. And I've always liked just the idea of the What If comics. Um, I only own one, unfortunately. I have the uh, the What If Punisher actually killed Spider-Man during their first encounter. Oh. Uh, my favorite one that I've never read is What If Tony Stark Became the Sorcerer Supreme Ooh, and he yeah. just makes a Doctor Strange armor. But one of my fa- all-time favorite series is Spider-Girl, which spun out of a What If series. Ran for over 100 issues from a single What If short story. I mean, I don't know if it, you could say that it necessarily spun out of it, but Mighty Thor, Jane as Thor, was a What If story. Oh, yeah. Uh, what If is just fun because, I mean, one, it's just a weird name, but it's one that sticks with you. And they were able to do stuff like ask the question and then what if appears i think you have a better idea of what's going on in loki than i do even though i saw the setup and you didn't which yeah it's fun because you've seen avengers endgame and i have not although i've picked up kind of through osmosis Mm -hmm. most of the big things um the only thing that uh probably gives me a better sign of what's going down is He's with the Time Variance Authority, or the Time Variance Authorities in there, the TVA. They are time police, sort of, and it sure looks like they're using Loki as their secret agent, mm. which Al Ewing, a few years ago, wrote a book called Loki, Agent of Asgard, which was teen Loki doing, like, black ops, sneaky stuff for Asgard. And it was some of the best Loki I've ever read, so... If they're going to lean into that angle, there's a lot of there's a lot of traction to the idea. Mm-hmm. It just I mean, I'll I'll watch anything with Hiddleston, I think. So and he clearly loves playing Loki. So and he might be pretty perfect for Loki. Yeah. So uh, I was intrigued by seeing uh, a lot of rocks on stuff in the background. Uh, especially with Thor Love and Thunder coming up. Super looking forward to taking digs at giant corporations, but at the same time, I'm paying Disney for it, so... (laughs) I'm just still hoping we get big Minotaur, man. Yes. Uh, The thing... Oddly, the thing I noticed most here is that was, what, Owen Wilson? Oh, yeah. As, like, his handler, it seems like. Yeah, and it looked like... I'm excited to see Owen Wilson not just play Owen Wilson... Although he seemed to be a little Owen wilson Yeah, but, like, middle-aged older man Owen Wilson, as opposed to handsome idiot character that he played for pretty much every movie he's ever done. Yeah. They're charming. I, I tend to like Owen Wilson whenever he's in a movie. Don't get me wrong. But he's played essentially the same character. In 90% of his roles? With varying degrees of intelligence. Like Zoolander at the lowest... And then, I don't know, upper level, they all kind of, like, even out at his Shanghai Noon character. I was about to say that. (laughs) (laughs) That one was an author, so I guess... I didn't watch the Falcon and Winter Soldier thing yet. It looks cool. Then they announced about 13 new series, because they realized the Mando makes them crazy money. Right. Well, I was going to say, they confirmed a lot of the casting we had already heard, like Mm -hmm. uh, Haley Steinfeld and, and Hawkeye and stuff. 
almost everything that we've reported as rumors for casting for the past few months is true, except they did not confirm Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight. Uh, real quick with the Hawkeye girl, I already forgot her name. I'm sorry, I don't. Haley Steinfeld. Steinfeld. You said? Yeah. Um, I have seen on set pictures of her wearing her Hawkeye costume, and it is pretty much picture perfect. Awesome. It's, it looks so good for the uh, Kate Bishop Hawkeye look. I mean, all accounts seems like that is going to be the Matt Fraction Hawkeye run. So yeah, which was perfect. And they're letting Hawkeye be like as obnoxiously purple as I just kind of expect Hawkeye to be. Mm -hmm. Every one of his costumes is wildly purple and they just put him in like boring black leather in every goddamn Marvel appear like Marvel movie appearance. I'm a fan of purple, so I'm a fan of seeing this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for the new stuff. Sam Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn in Secret Invasion. Which we knew they were going to do something with Secret Invasion, and we knew that Sam Jackson was getting a TV show. I wasn't expecting it to be this, and I actually like this a lot better than it being their next movie? Avengers Endgame mm. thing. Like, oh, yeah, like their big... Mm -hmm. Tie this thing off with a bow. Uh, because I like Secret Invasion, but it got a little boring of like, and now you're going to fight this overpowered super scroll number seven with these like roll a dice to figure out what superpowers mm -hmm. they stole. But in a TV show where they'll do it in a more contained scale, it could be really cool. Do you think through all of that, we also end up getting super scroll? I fucking hope so because Clert is literally the only interesting thing about the scrolls. Fair. Fair. Literally that <laughs> nothing else I give a shit about when it comes to the scrolls. Uh, Don Cheadle is going to return as War Machine in a series called Armor Wars. Armor Wars is one of the best Iron Man runs ever written as far as I'm concerned, like storylines. And uh, Don Cheadle can carry a movie, so I would love to see that. Uh, we got Dominic Thorne will be starring as Riri Williams in Ironheart. We kind of knew Ironheart was coming. Like It's never been rumored for forever now. Well, and they never really announced it, but you and I have both been like, oh, here's how... Um, I really liked Ironheart as the comic, so I'm looking forward to... I, I have nothing else on that. Along with the third Guardians, James Gunn is also going to be doing a Guardians holiday special. This makes me so fucking happy. <laughs> that is the ultimate love letter to Star Wars that Guardians already was. <laughs> Spoiler alert, that's next week's episode. Yeah. The fucking Star Wars holiday. And we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so it's been confirmed that Christian Bale will be playing Gore the God Butcher in Love and Thunder. Which actually confirms what story I'm doing for Thor when we're doing uh, uh, New Byland. Because hmm. I was between, like, the God Butcher and a different one. I'm like, oh, fuck, now I gotta... Um, God Butcher is fun. It's a great, it, it's a great run. Um, I do think that he is more perfect for Dario Agar, but. Yes. Shitty rock. We know he can play a somewhat shitty billionaire. We watched him in three Batman movies. Right. And not to mention like being a psychopathic yuppie as we saw in American Psycho. Um, it will be fun to see him not play the same character, although there's a really big danger that Gore is going to be a very forgettable villain in this. And he's almost certainly going to be a CG fest. Yeah. It, uh, I just hope that we don't get Christopher Eccleston in the second Thor movie where they get 
one of the greatest doctors of all doctors, Doctor Who's, and I wouldn't have known it was him. Exactly. And Marvel does kind of shortchange their villains a bit. That's why we're all obsessed with Killmonger still. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Peyton Reed will be returning to direct Ant-Man and the Wasp 3, now subtitled Ant-Man and the Wasp 3 Quantumania. Okay. Cool. I got nothing against them. I got nothing really for them either. They're fun. Uh, and that is also confirmed uh, Jonathan Majors from Lovecraft Lovecraft Country being Kang the Conqueror. That's potentially much more interesting to me. D- the new Doctor Strange movie has been confirmed to impact upon Spider-Man 3. We're hearing a bunch of rumors about Spider-Man 3. I was about to bring that up too, so... The non-Marvel news from this week that would have been the big news if they wouldn't have done this investor call is that Alfred Molina has been confirmed to be in Spider-Man 3. I am... I'm hoping they just have him play a different version of, like, this world's version of Doc Ock, but still do Molina. Because Molina was fucking great as Doc Ock. Uh, But it really... All the rumors right now are a live-action Spider-Verse, and as far as I'm concerned, that's the last thing we need. We already have Spider-Verse. The perfect Spider-Verse. They're not going to top that story. They're not going to top how they're telling that story. Sure, it would be cool to see Toby and uh, Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man again. They both had a lot of fun as the role. They were both good in the role. But I'm going to compare it to one of the most perfect superhero movies ever made that came out, what, two years ago? Yeah. Like, fuck, man, give us some time. (laughs) <laughs> to go with that, it is still he- heavily rumored that Jamie Foxx will be appearing in it as well. Again, he was fine as Electro. His the Max Electro Dil- was terrible, but yeah, he yeah. was fine. <laughs> uh, the Max Dillon version of it wasn't very interesting, but also he wasn't playing anything that really resembled an Electro we knew. Right. Um, Jamie Foxx is a good actor, so cool. I think you could do it. Uh, the new Doctor Strange will also be for sure introducing Xochitl Gomez as America Chavez. Fuck yes, I did not know that. America Chavez is so sweet. And with that Spider-Man little side thing, John Watts has also been pegged by Marvel to bring the Fantastic Four into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm very excited. I really am nervous. There have been four, three versions of the Fantastic Four made for movies. One of them never even got bothered to get released. It was so bad. Also, I don't know if it was supposed... That's a whole story for a different weird day. It's really easy to fuck up the Fantastic Four, but you can do such a good comic movie with the Fantastic Four. I really... I'm glad to see them jumping in with it. I'm, uh, I believe they'll actually try... And I was worried they were going to get the short shift because X-Men was going to overshadow all. Mm -hmm. Which they're being real careful on the X-Men of they're not rushing to bring them in. Which is good. Yes. Which is, I mean, that's a lot of characters to bring in, too. And bringing in the X-Men is a huge thing. So give it its time and its room to breathe first. I'm going to be so excited to see Fantastic Four. (laughs) Yeah. Again, it'll be a thing they could have fun with if they let it have a sense of whimsy. Who do you think they put as their first villain in the universe? I mean, the obvious do you think answer you go is Doom? fucking Doom, but Doom is one of the, like, five greatest supervillains ever created in history. 
So the obvious answer is Doom. I would almost love to see someone like the Mole Man. Mole Man would be super. Or El Diablo or... Annihilus. Annihilus would be an obvious one. Um, for some reason, I would really love the Red Ghost and his super apes. Mostly because he's a crazy Russian who can, like, phase out, like, Kitty Pride style, who has fucking genetically engineered monk uh, apes hanging out with him. And how is that not on everyone's radar? Because oh, it's terrible. Do but. you know enough to know if that was actually based on Stalin's ape man experiments? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> no one likes to talk about the Red Ghost. <laughs> he just shows up every once in a while in, like, small panels because comic book writers cannot get over this concept. Good to know. That's it on the Marvel side, unless you can think of something I missed. Uh, Miss Marvel will be appearing in oh. Captain Marvel 2, along with um, uh, uh, Monica and Rambeau. And they will not be recasting uh, Chadwick's. Chadwick, which we kind of already knew. Um, I'm real excited for Miss Marvel, because I really like Miss Marvel. Just that's <laughs> it, that's all. Oh, and they announced a director for Captain Marvel 2, but I don't know who it is. I'm sure I just looked at it and completely... Look it up. Have fun. There's so much news today, guys. There's so much news. <laughs> We're going to go into the Star Wars part. Star Wars! <laughs> I'm dancing to this. You can't see that. It's All okay. right. So first off, we just watched this one, this trailer right beforehand, Bad Batch. The trailer looked dope. I know nothing about the characters because I'm not that far in Clone Wars yet. Bad Batch is from season seven of Clone Wars, uh, which is top three, possibly top five, definitely top five greatest Star Wars things ever created. Clone Wars is good. Clone Wars season seven is a fucking work of art by the end of it. It is a group of like black ops clones that have all been genetically modified so like one of them is super smart one of them's really strong it's basically what if we had an avengers team mixed with the fucking mm. like a team working for us with better aim hopefully with better aim yes and they're all fucking unhinged um and I was, this might get me to go through clone wars even faster uh now it, that i see it, that it. john rambo is in the fucking star wars universe that's all i could think <laughs> of when i saw that one so what makes me most excited about this is this is the animated one that we saw something of, and it's in the style that Clone Wars and Rebels was in. And I know, hon, you're not a huge fan of that style. Uh, well, you and I talked about this the other the other day. Um, I think the animated series um, have opportunities to tell a lot better stories in a lot of ways because animation's more flexible and allows or a wider range of stories. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a huge fan of that animation style. It doesn't bother me to the point where I can't like watch it. Um, like it has, I know I've talked to other people who just cannot get into those animated series. I've met the same. Um, but you know, like I will gladly watch any animated Star Wars they come out with. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and I understand, I mean, that style is a lot cheaper to produce than something that might be a lot prettier in my opinion. I don't remember. Have you ever seen the the 2D Clone Wars one, the like traditional animation that the Gendy Tartavosky, the oh, Samurai Jack guy did? I think I saw a little bit of it. Not like sat down and watched it, but maybe saw a clip from Mace that. Windu fucking up the droids. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, you know, let's let Samurai Jack do Star Wars things. Uh, that style is like adapting Tardivosky into 3D. In the 2D, it's definitely a style designed for 2D, although I have become quite fond of it. Largely because I love Rebels as much as I do. Mm. I'll fucking swear by Rebels every day of the year. Um. Yeah. I'm excited for the time frame that Bad Batch is happening because we... Star Wars does a lot of time skip. um, And there's quite a bit of gap between the end of um, Clone Wars and Rebels. And it's always fascinating to see... What happened? The transition, yeah. The thing I'm happiest about is, as I said, the fact that they're doing this animated because they announced so many live-action shows and everyone was like, we need a live-action Ahsoka, which we'll get to in a moment. But I really love animation and uh, it's the same way that they were do- they're talking about doing a live-action Spider-Verse. We don't need that. We already have this done so well in animation. Uh, it, it just drives me nuts that a lot of times animation is treated as the lesser than. Right. So I think the fact that they're still like, no, we're doing Bad Batch in animation makes mm-hmm. me like, fuck yeah. Give proper respect where it's due. Like I said, I thought it looked dope. Just the name, The Bad Batch, reminds me of like The Dirty Dozen, which mm-hmm. super big fan of Very that Very accurate to what it... Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm in. I just, I just got to get caught up in Clone Wars, which I have started, like, the Ahsoka episode of uh, fucking Mando. I was like, oh, I need to watch more yeah, right after get this. back into this. Yes. And it was funny because I was like, as right as I, as I turned it back on, I was like, well, I know that I technically got past this episode, but that's when I was watching on Netflix. And currently on Disney Plus, I'm up to the Mandalore plot. Ooh, the and Mandalore like, plot gets pretty good. It starts slow, but... Um, the trailer shows all of them being it in the it looks like they're still working for the empire or they might still be working for the empire it's hard to say yeah well that was one thing i really liked about that trailer is they were very good at making it difficult to tell if the bad batch goes on to work for the empire if they see what's happening and they go uh no and and turn against it um we really, when we, um, looking at, like, what we know of what happened to the clones after Order 66, when they are basically told by the Empire, you're no longer needed and are put into retirement, once again, well, when exactly does that happen? Where is the gray area? How, you know, and how do the clones, you know, react to the situation? Um, I mean... We know that some clones no longer had a chip at that point. Do the Bad Batch have chips for Order 66? There's a lot of questions that um, this show has uh, an opportunity. answer. Yeah, potentially opportunities to answer. We saw that they were working for Tarkin at one point. Like, Tarkin was talking to them at least, being like, well done, interesting. Well, even that, uh, you know, well, having met other Star Wars villains, mm-hmm. that could have very easily been... They've been caught, and he's giving them a lecture. That was, you know, at first that was my instinct, too, was, oh, they did a job for Tarkin. But thinking about it later, I was like, oh, or he's doing a Thrawn thing of how he's, like, talking to his... I was going to say, on the other side of that, when they first gave their, like, blip of this is what Bad Batch is going to be, they made it sound like they might not be working for the Empire. So my personal theory is it's going to start with them working for the Empire, and then somewhere in the season, 
They're going to be like, gonna, fuck this noise. They're going right. to go A-team, as I said. Yeah, mm-hmm. like... Yeah. That's kind of my uh, my guess as well, especially looking at the trailer where there is scenes where you're like, wow, that looks like they're fighting the Empire. No, that looks like a little... Mm, it's very unclear. Um, There's a lot of lasers. I can't see past them. Yeah. Are they, <laughs> are they fighting with... Other clone troopers? Are they fighting against other clone troopers, or is this uh, is this stormtroopers now that they're you know there's going to be a transition between from clone troopers to stormtroopers? So well, and without giving away too much because you haven't finished Clone Wars, it's uh, Fives. One of the clones from Clone Wars ends up joining the Bad Batch in it, and uh, Fives has plenty of reason to distrust. Oh, yeah. So we'll see how this, how and where this goes. Nice. We're excited. That's the... Yeah. (laughs) Short it down to two words, we're excited. Uh, To go along on the animated side of things, they've also announced Star Wars Visions, which is an anime-inspired anthology series created by a bunch of different Japanese animation houses that are just kind of go have fun in Star Wars. It's the Animatrix, but for Star Wars as a full series. Done. Let's do that. Animatrix was great. Batman's Animatrix, uh, I can't remember what that one was called, but still, also freaking great. Do it with Star Wars? Hell yeah. Um, and a droid story coming from ILM and Lucasfilm. I know literally nothing about that one other than I saw the name Droid Story. I believe it's supposed to be C-3PO and R2-D2 and a newcomer of some sort. And I don't even think we know who the newcomer is, if it's another droid or if it's another human, but it's going to be kind of them, I think, in like almost like a mentor or guiding type role for whoever this newcomer is. I'm less excited about it being C-3PO and R2-D2, but I also deeply love C-3PO and R2-D2, so fuck yeah. yeah. Keep giving Anthony Williams Star Wars work. I think think it could go either way easily. I mean, R2-D2 and C-3PO worked very well in the original trilogy, and then they got too annoying, like, their their comedic use in the prequels at times was like, oh, God, and it was, you know, catering to, like, a very specific age group Mm -hmm. that was going to be in the theater, but then, but then I thought it was they were well used again later. So yeah, I liked them a lot better in the sequels. Although, like everything in the sequels, they were never quite sure what they were doing. I like yeah. the sequels, but I'll admit yeah. there's its flaws. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, as long as the writer uses them, you know, appropriately, it could be very fun. It'd be very cute. You like droids? They appear in an episode of Rebels, and I was really worried they were going to join the Rebels cast full time. But once I realized they didn't, it became one of my favorite episodes of the first season because it's good use of the characters. But again, as I said, and I've now said about 15 times about 15 different things, I do worry about oversaturation of those somewhat comedic Mm -hmm. side characters. Mm -hmm. Off of animation into live action. Bunch of cool shit here as much as I was just being like, no, animation deserves full credit. Uh, Two Mando spinoffs. We have Rangers of the New Republic, which we know pretty much nothing about. Part of me wants it to be Cara Dune and Mayfeld. I don't know why. I just want them, like... Especially after this last episode. That's what I was watching. I was like, I never would have thought that. But no, watching that now? Fuck yeah. Also, this episode made me fucking care about Mayfeld. Good job, Bill Burr. Bring in Oliphant, too. (laughs) Cobb Vanth, I'm down. (laughs) Well, before, 
before yes, this episode, actually. before we watched this episode, I assumed it was going to potentially be like the uh, the two New Republic guys in the X wings. Oh yeah, like, those guys tooling like, around. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like you know they're off doing rangery things for the New it Republic in the in the Outer Rim, but chips in space. Yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, we watched this episode and yeah, we were like, that would be fun to have a Cara Dune Mayfield team up. Whatever um, I might think of Gina Carrero, but yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> it could all, you know, they could be characters we haven't even That's seen. kind we of what one I more hope for. We have one more episode, so it could be something that comes out of that. It's it, hard to say. It does seem like it's going to be a limited series. So we, I mean, theoretically, you could even have like because it's only going to be eight episodes or so, have Bo- throw Bo-Katan in there for some reason. Yeah. There's a bunch of things that could be. I'm pretty excited for it because I know so little, and I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing the New Republic because we haven't we haven't spent any time with them. The first time we see the New Republic in the Disney version, they're blown the fuck up. Yeah. yeah. And then we ha- they're here in this one, but they're like overworked and stretched too thin. Well, and for me, having read um, the Leia Bloodline, book. Bloodline, which is about, um, which happens before the sequels, when Leia is actually a senator for the New Republic, is quite a bit further in. At this point, um, at that point in the story, Kylo Ren Ben mm-hmm. is already like off training with Luke. This is like just before he finds out that Darth Vader is his grandfather. Hmm. So, like, he hasn't, like... Yeah, that's, like, 20 years his... after Mando still. Like, right. That's... So so that happens kind... You know, you're kind of thrown in the middle of the New Republic, but this is also... That book is also dealing with the beginnings of them realizing that the Empire never really went away and has been working in the shadows, sort of. Uh, so... Yeah, and it's still it's still Carrie Fisher, or I guess not Carrie Fisher because it's a book. Um, it's, it's still, still Leia, Leia. <laughs> going off and being very much Leia. like, yeah, like oh sure, I'm a politician with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Only in a fictional universe do I not find that sentence utterly horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, being a limited series, it's supposedly going to culminate in a crossover with Mando and the recently announced. Ahsoka. Yes. Did not know that. That's kind of cool. So it might be their defenders. It sounds like it's going to be their defenders. And theoretically, with all three of these properties coming together, their big bad is probably going to be Thrawn. I really like defenders. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would super take a big bad Thrawn. Especially, I mean, we know that Ahsoka's looking for Thrawn, which means she's looking probably for Ezra Bridger, which... Means we're probably oh yeah I know I know who okay sorry, sorry. just make <laughs> which means we're probably also uh, going to get Sabine. Uh, Sabine is the I most love. perfect Mandalorian ever created. <laughs> I love her. I do think that this is going to contain minor spoilers for Mando, but I do think that the announcement of the Ahsoka show means there's less of a chance that it's Ezra that responds to Grogu's call. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. 
Because um, I think he's been the odds-on favorite for most people. Either Ezra or Luke, fun. and I don't really want it to be Luke either. I don't think um, it's going to... I don't really see it being Luke. My hope Cal is... Cal Kestis. <laughs> I'm, I'm... Your fucking video game guy. <laughs> I'm gunning for a whole new character. Mm. Like That would know. make me happiest. Uh, yeah. I think it's way out there. I heard somebody throw out that because they do seem to be trying to make all of the things in Legends canon again, that it could Star be Killer. Mara Jade. Oh. See, I really love Mara Jade, and I've talked about this before. Part of what I love about Mara Jade was the relationship between Luke and Mara, though. Exactly. Uh, and I think Luke was weakened as a character not getting Mara Jade. And I think Mara Jade would be weakened not having Luke. And I don't want it to be like, oh, no, we can't do her because she can't have the man. Like, it, she can't be the romantic interest. But also, as I said, I just loved that combo so much that I don't know if I want Mara without it in the same way that I'm like, God damn it, Luke. You see what happens when you don't marry the Emperor's personal assassin? You suck. You're great. I love you, Mark Hamill. Performance of a lifetime. But you suck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that one's a long shot, but I think it's an interesting one to think about. Yeah. Well, and and you could bring someone named Mara Jade and give them a completely different, you know. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we got when we, when we got Darth Maul mm -hmm. coming back when in Clone Wars and Rebels. Like, he is definitely not the same Darth Maul, and he is a much better character in Clone Wars and Rebels than he was in his in Phantom Menace like in Phantom Menace he looks cool as shit but he's bland in this one I don't God, always like him but he's interesting yeah he's yeah you haven't gotten there yet have you okay moving on he's fucking <laughs> okay. cool it's okay <laughs> I actually kept myself pretty well spoiled when Rebels was coming out too I was just too interested in what was going on, and I did not have enough time to be putting in that time myself. So I was there. like, "There's a few comic series I follow that way." I was like, "Yeah, like every like article that came out after the episode." I was like, "What happened? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> they, did, they did what? Did they just do fucking time trap anyway?" Right. <laughs> I didn't think I was gonna like it, and then those episodes were sick. God, that was cool. But official Ahsoka show. Everyone kind of guessed it because that episode did feel like a backdoor oh, pilot. Yeah. Mando oh, yeah. season two is the backdoor pilot after backdoor pilot. I mean, they did a very good job of it being a standalone series on its own. It's not Avengers Age of Ultron where they forgot to have a plot and story while doing backdoor pilots. But, uh, yeah, pretty much every episode has been like, a, we're prepping for some later shit. Which, which has <laughs> brought the fantastic joke of the whole season is... Mando is a side character and they keep trying to get him into the main plot and he's like, no, I'm just trying to find a good preschool for my son. <laughs> uh, the main character at the end of this episode, but that's for, um, we'll get there. I'm sorry. <laughs> we had another one that we knew was coming uh, off of the series. Uh, or no, we're still on series. My bad. Andor. Star Wars. Cassian Andor. Andor. Uh, Rogue One guy before Rogue One knew it was coming. Cool. I really liked him. He really liked him. I watched some of their behind-the-scenes stuff. They they put some fucking time and effort into this. They said over 6,000 separate characters had to get costumed or something like that. Like, yeah. 
he might be the most interesting character for me that we've run across in the live action Star Wars because he's the only one that pretty much said on screen, look, like we're fighting a war. I might be on the good side, but I've had to do some fucked up shit to make this I mean, this he directly says, I've done terrible things. Yeah, like, and I think <clears throat> like that, you know, really speaks to like what the rebellion has had to do um, but also makes me confident that we will probably get more. Um, oh shit! We talked about this the other day. What is his name? K two S O. No. Oh yes, yeah, Alan Tudyk is K two S O. I didn't even think of that. We're gonna get fantastic. destroyed back. Um. <laughs> Which would be fantastic. Uh, no, no. Um, rebel leader. Uh, Gail Bale. Organa? No, no. Okay. Oh shit! We just talked about this the other day, and I can't remember his name. Give me a hint. Dreads. Oh, um, uh, fucking black guy gets all fucked up. He's uh, uh, the Renegades. He was he raised no. Jin Erso. Yes, raised. Jin oh, Erso. um, Sagrera. Yes, Sagrera, thank you. Played by uh, Forrest Whitaker. Thank because, you. Because because anytime we get Sagrera, we get some very like, okay, moral line. Be like, where's the moral line when it comes to doing what needs to be done for the. For the sake of good, even if you're being a fucking even bastard. if you're being yeah, really shitty, and Saw is always anytime Saw comes up, that question comes up of like, okay, if are are we being just as bad as the bad guys? Like, where where do we draw the line on how far we're willing to go to get shit done? And so when you know if you're bringing Cassian in, I feel like there's a good chance we might get more Saw, which excites me because he's really cool. I mean, the first time we ever see Cassian, he shoots his informant dead because it was the only way to get away in time. And he thinks Saw goes too far. Right. So, like, damn, son, let's see what fucked up things happened there. Forrest Whitaker seems to really like playing Saw. I mean, he came back for Rebels. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they could convince him to come back for this. And I have just kind of reached the point that if Forrest Whitaker wants to do something, I'm probably willing to watch it. Yeah. No, that's true. He's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Even in uh, Bloodsport. Wow, that's probably bad. <laughs> I think a lot of people forget he was in Bloodsport, but... <laughs> I think a lot of people try to forget about Bloodsport there, big guy. <laughs> um, so we knew the Obi-Wan Kenobi show was coming. And we have a date for it now, I want to say? or a I don't know if we have like a hard date for it, but the bigger part of it is that Hayden Christensen is going to be reprising his role as the fallen Anakin Skywalker for it. So hear me out. So this is my proposal for what this uh, series will be. Is this a real proposal, or is this something that's going to make us laugh and make me mad on the inside? This is the one I already told you about, which, okay. is, which is the entire <laughs> series is us just following oh, yep. this is the Hayden Christensen <laughs> as Darth Vader, and we just hear... Uh, Sassy one Kenobi. Yes, we just hear Kenobi <laughs> just through the Force <laughs> pestering him and being like, calling him a dumbass, basically, from Tatooine, but you don't... Anakin. Hey, Anakin. Knock I it off. Sand. I still, I still have the higher ground, Anakin. And just the entire series is Darth Vader trying to go about his day, but and you can't like. He keeps just getting interrupted by Obi Wan's voice, like fucking following him around. What's important <laughs> to me beyond just that happening word for word—that's <laughs> the most important part. But otherwise. 
never having them actually meet up because it's very clear in New Hope that they have not seen each other since the battle, since Mustafar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen other things retconned and they could technically be like, well, they never actually said that they haven't seen each other since that day. But I feel like that is more powerful if we keep it that, like, we can have Hayden Christensen hunting down Obi-Wan. Or we could have it being flashbacks. Or there's all sorts of things we could do. I don't want another Obi-Wan versus Anakin fight. Because I don't want to cheapen the two that we already have. Even though one's way overdone and the other one's awful. Yeah. But you don't care because it's the first Star Wars. Um... You could have very near misses too, you know. That would be great. Yeah, where where clearly like they have just missed each other. One of them maybe sees like their like opportunity being missed, you know. But yeah, I think having them actually face to face again, um, and I think that would also put Obi Wan's mission of protecting Luke at risk if they actually manage to get mm-hmm. too close together. I haven't thought about the Obi-Wan show too much. Like, I'm excited I'm into for it, it, but... I don't I'm, really know what to expect. Yeah. I mean, I, I I guess we have an idea of what time period it takes place in. Uh, ten um, years after Revenge of the Sith, I believe. Another point that we've never really seen. Yeah, and, you know, as far as we've all been imagining for decades in our mind space, he's just been hanging out on Tatooine, which, I mean... Clearly, Mandalorian has right <laughs> as we've seen in Mandalorian. There's plenty of stories to be told on Tata fucking Ween. Um, <laughs> so the okay. I say that every time you say I the know, name Tatooine, it's because when we were playing Old Republic and we get to Tatooine, when I first got there, I was so excited to get to Tata fucking Ween, and then. When you're there for like ten hours, it's so. You're just like I hate sand. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so much to do, and there's it's big plan. It takes forever to travel anywhere, and pretty soon you're like, I hate Tata fucking weed. <laughs> but still, anytime Tatooine comes up, Tata fucking weed. It's my response is Tata fucking weed. I don't have huge thoughts on Obi Wan. Ewan McGregor was easily the best part of the prequels. Cool. Yeah. I'll take more Ian. Yeah. Uh, so we have Justin Simeon, who did both the movie and the show for Dear White People, as well as Bad Hair over on Hulu, will be helming Lando. Which they haven't announced Which where, Lando? what, anything. But there had been the rumor that you had a while back that was old Lando telling stories about when he was young and then going to Donald Glover playing it, which would make me so happy. That would be fun. I've always loved Lando, and in the last five years, getting to see both of them again and getting to see old man Lando and young Lando with Donald Glover, both of them, it really has just brought my love of the character up to a new zenith. He's underused. And you could have such fun stories. And you could do very, you know, episodic stories, uh, you know, where each episode is a self-contained story because he just goes off on shenanigans. He's not even a smuggler. He's just... (laughs) <laughs> out there he's just for some re- reason he's gambling and then being like oh shit I'm out of money better go do a thing yeah like um, you could have such fun like basically bringing the Star Wars universe and stuff that you do when you live and work in the Star Wars universe to life with a more episodic 
Well, and the fun thing about Lando is he can be the hero or he can be the villain. Like, yes. really easily, but not in as grim a way as, like, when Mando, you're like, I'm not sure if you're on the other side or right there, Mando. Right. Like, right. yeah. The uh, fun, quirky... Lando and Mando. Yeah. The Lando-Mando yes. Adventure Hour? Yes. Oh, yes. Let's do that. <laughs> New proposal. <laughs> New spinoff proposed. Let General Notary control Star Wars. <laughs> the GoFundMe page. <laughs> um, yeah. Lando's going to be awesome. I don't know. Yeah. I don't I, care what happens. As long as they get one of the two, we'll be, be fine. fine. Well, and it is another limited series, so there's no reason they couldn't just airdrop a fuck ton of money on Donald Glover's place. Yeah. Just throwing that out. And there. again, Donald Glover clearly loved playing Lando. <laughs> like. Um and then ooh. This might be the one I'm most excited about, actually. actually. The Acolyte. Uh they had already said we had already knew that Leslie Headland, who did Russian Doll, was getting a show. Uh it's been now revealed that it's going to be the Acolyte, a series following a dark side user in the last days of the High Republic era. Which we didn't ever know if we were going to get any live at or like video stuff in the High Republic era or if it was just going to be books and comics. So just that confirmation alone is exciting. I've been yeah. following all these concept art drops. It and looks sick. High Republic could be... Super fucking fun. Yes. It, it looks sick, and it does the proud tradition of cribbing unused Star Wars designs for their own advantage. Excellent. <laughs> oh, we didn't use this in episode three, but we're using it now. Fuck yeah, bud. <laughs> what else did Ralph McQuarrie draw? <laughs> we're running out of shit. <laughs> right? Uh, like, Zeb was originally, like... Chewbacca's original look. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so we get... We get both. We get... We get the Wookiees we ended up with, and then we get Zebarillius... The, Who's also um, fun. I can't think of what he is now. That doesn't matter. But the, his species. Yeah. Get, you know, recycle that shit. Use it. It's good. Yeah. Give but I mean, solo back. I mean, and I think it could be a really interesting story because I have a feeling they're not going to keep our protagonist a, like Sith the entire time. She's a female darksider during that time. You could do a lot of really interesting stuff with that. I think it's going to be like that character falling away from the dark side while the dark side is actually on the rise. That we... could be really interesting. It could also just be interesting to have a series of the bad guys. It could yeah. be. I'm, I'm not usually in favor of that. I am not a bad guy at heart, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, but you could do it. And we have enough other stuff that I it'd be interesting. If you, as long as you're writing very compelling bad guys, I think like if you're writing, you know, someone as compelling as Thrawn, mm -hmm. you know, if if it is just you know, you know, just if it's Kylo Ren, I'm not interested. Right. If it's Thrawn, I am. Yeah, I don't <laughs> exactly, exactly. I want I want someone who's a complicated bad guy and holds my interest and not, you know, just a, you know, someone who's just like, well, this person's just evil. That's just, that's just why they're that way. Mm -hmm. You know, that's boring. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't need any more of that. I mean, and I mean, I guess thinking back on it, one of my favorite shows of all time, all of the protagonists were technically bad guys because I fucking love Sins of Anarchy, so... It, it can be done. I am curious to see what it is. They won't be, but I really kind of want it to be a Twi'lek because I really love evil Twi'lek Sith 
thanks mm. to Star Wars Legacy. And if I can't have Star Wars Legacy and Darth, I can't think of Darth Talon, then give me a prequel version of Angry Darth Talon Twilight. <laughs> of course, you, sir. Maybe give her something more to wear than a fucking bikini, but it looked good. Jander Asema is a great artist, but also... Don't fight, don't lightsaber fight in tube tops. Uh, Patty Jenkins, famous for directing Wonder Woman, will be doing Rogue Squadron. And that was such a fun, like, little trailer, if you even really call it a trailer that she did. Especially, especially when she goes, it is like going to go get in an X-Wing. Like. <laughs> she rollerblades to a car that they probably got paid a lot of money to show that specific brand of car, even though I don't know what it is. It looked like a car commercial at that moment. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, Takes off her rollerblades, and you at a moment were like, is she taking her pants off? What is happening? And Also, I was like, why are they rollerblading in Star Wars? I've never seen that before. And then the next thing you know, she's putting on a um, squadron helm. And uh, pulls up the orange jumpsuit and heads for an X-Wing parked along all the airplanes, which like, could you imagine if you like went to an airport and yeah, there's all those airplanes and then there's an X-Wing parked there. <laughs> I too would immediately rollerblade roller and take off my pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and go get in that X-Wing. Like I'd be like, oh, it's re- it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally dreamed of this. Uh, and she did have a nice story about her dad was a uh, Air Force pilot, mm-hmm. and she used to watch him fly his planes, and then he died, and she's like, I need to tell the greatest fucking aircraft story of all, like, pilot story of all time. Like, do you want to do it in Star Wars? And she's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> like, I couldn't find the perfect story, and now I have. <laughs> um, from what I hear, this takes place after the sequel trilogy, so they are going to continue to go forward, which kind of makes me happy because everyone's like, oh, who's going to be Luke and Wedge, like, in the books? Right. I don't necessarily want that. Like, as I, I have the books. I want new stories. And I want to know what happens after the sequel trilogy, because I don't hate the sequel trilogy. So, fucking hit me, man. Yeah. There's just like after the original trilogy, there's a whole new world. And... They can do anything. I don't care if I get Luke or Wedge. Give me Corrin Horn. Put Corrin, like, years later. Sure, that's fine. Corrin's story was fucking awesome. Um... I Jedi might still be my favorite piece of expanded universe material. I'm a sucker ever. for the Corellian Jedi. They're like, they wear mm. green robes. And yeah. like 10-year-old me was like, you can't get cooler than that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you're I a own Jedi. green Jedi robes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I am true to myself. Um, and we didn't even get a full title treatment, but I think it says a lot with what we saw from Taika's. <laughs> which they confirmed is being written. Star Wars in a blue uh, schoolhouse rockish type font. And they were like, we are uh, doing weird things that we never would have considered. I'm like, fuck yeah. I mean, again, we've talked about my love of Thor Ragnarok on this show. I'll let him do whatever the fuck he wants. He's proven he can do excellent sci-fi. Also, the season one finale of Mandalorian, he was perfect. It could be so much fun. Well, and so I've talked about this with Matt, our other big Star Wars nerd fan. And what we love about the Star Wars universe is you can tell any genre of story within it. 
Like, sure, it started out as a uh, space fantasy or even a space opera, if you want to go that mm-hmm. route. But now we've got a space western told in it. We've got, um, you know, several animated series that, you know, fit in kind of their own genre. We have heist movies. We have political intrigues. Yeah, war. We have Rogue One is very much a war movie in the style of... Dirty Dawson. Dating Private Ryan, you know, yeah. things like that. Let's see where Ty could take, like, fuck, he could, he could tell whatever story he fucking wants. Somehow, I He can tell whatever story he fucking wants he anyway, could, and I will could, watch he, it. He could, he could do the, um, we always make a joke about running a, running a tabletop where we all play the band members from the cantina. Oh my god. And, or the Max Rebo band, Max, maybe, or like. He could do that. He could, song again. <laughs> uh, he, could, he could fucking tell the story of the stupid cantina band. It would be. Somehow, Incredible. IG-11 has been recreated, and it's just a movie of IG-11 being, like, murder nurse. <laughs> like, gets hired to, like... Gets hired to babysit story. again. Like, Give me Taika Waititi giving us the Lobot story. I'm down. Yeah, Never would have thought of that. Yeah. Recast like, him as Taika and be like, don't even worry about don't. it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> or make him stew. Uh, Tag and Bink are dead, so they're like kind of like Rosencrantz and oh, Guildenstern. Yes. yes, but told through Taika's eyes. Oh my God, that would be good. Yeah, <sighs> I'm excited to see what ends up coming yeah. of that. That's all the news, which is good because oh, it's all the news. It's almost was... an entire episode. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> so we swear this move or this episode is about uh, good, good omens, omens, and we will get to that right after this. away from Star Wars briefly, although I realized that we could pretty much just make General Nerdery Star Wars podcast number 472 yeah. and uh, be perfectly happy doing it. But, Good Omens. Uh, specifically the TV show instead of the book this time. Because Maybe. it got adapted. Yeah, it's finally. Hard. And it's so it's- good! <laughs> finally is a good way to put it. Because yes. we should go in on the fact that they were talking about adapting this since, like, the mid-90s? Yes. At least. Well, and, yeah, like, Terry and Neil had tried multiple times. Contracts just didn't work out. At one point, I think Terry Gilliam was? I was about to say, Terry Gilliam was attached to direct a movie version, I believe, yeah. at one point. Which, which is kind of perfect. Yeah, considering if you could have done it, it would not have worked as a movie. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, I, and, you know, Neil says that. Um, at one point in the commentary on the DVD is there is no other time we could have made this because being able to do it as a miniseries and have backing of, um, unfortunately, Amazon. But, you know, I mean, still getting to have as much freedom over it as he did because of the time that we are in for making miniseries and things like it allowed him to do something that um, I think Terry would have really enjoyed. and That know, was a major consideration, the entire production. Right. That was the voice in Neil's head was, would Terry like this? Is this how Terry would have wanted it? And he actually, at times when, you know, producers are, or whatnot were saying, we can't have this scene this way. What about this cheaper way? And Neil would go... Is this how Terry would, like, would Terry have said, and he said, no, Terry would have said, no, fuck this, we're doing it this way. And so he put his, I mean. He put his foot down. He put his foot Uh, down. And, you know, there were times where they did have to cut, you know, 
certain thing. You know, the my favorite scene, the drunk scene, was originally much longer, and it had to be pared down. They had to cut out the other four horsemen, mm-hmm. you know. That's and, the biggest tragedy of it. You know, there were things, but I I do think that, you know, this was Terry's basically dying wish to Neil was to make this, and... Neil was like, God damn it, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> damn it, Terry, I have other projects I'm working on, and now I have to stop all of them to make this. But, uh, you know, I think it would have made Terry proud, and it was huge for so many people, not just fans of the book, but so many people had their lives changed by this miniseries, and that, to me, is incredible. I guess the... This- Start with, I'm trying to figure out, the. there's only a few things that I really specifically want to talk about, but I guess, let's start with their choices of actors, specifically as thinking, oh, you have a thing. Oh, no, 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 I was, I was about to agree, like, casting is a good place to start, because uh, yeah. that's the kind of the weird thing that everyone was always waiting for, like, who's going to play who. I remember when I first jumped on following the pre-production of this, mm-hmm. when it was still in development hell, the, the favorites... Uh, at that time to play uh, our leads were uh, Robin Williams as Aziraphale and Johnny Depp as Crowley. I really hate that. I loved it at the time. I really, I'm sorry, I really hate that. Um, I kind of, I'm well, okay, so now my brain is going into the alternate reality and it would not have been as good as what we got, but it would have been so surreal and weird, like. My biggest problem is they're both Americans. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Uh, but I, Robin Williams was great. I've never thought of Aziraphale as coked out as that would have been. <laughs> Even after he got off the stuff, William's style was... Although he could roll it back. He's, it's we've true. seen he him in super do serious it. That's roles. unfair of me. Um, and I love Robin Williams. I am yeah. in no way knocking on that. He always wanted to play the Riddler, and God, I would have loved that. That would have been super. Uh, my... Although, I almost would have preferred him as Trickster. Yes, that would have been better. But they announced, when they first announced, it's uh, David Tennant and, what is that, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Thank you. They didn't say which one was which at first, and everyone's like, it's going to be Crowley. And I'm like, God, but he would play in a great fail too. Right, and and I think that was part of why they worked so well together, is either of those actors could have played either of those parts. And... Sheen plays a serial killer in a show now. Like, he can do dark and creepy. Yeah. And as and as we know, David Tennant, having been the doctor, can do light and, and fun, but can also, as the purple man in... Uh, Fucking Jessica in Jones. Jessica Jones, can play a very fucked up dark character. And really, if you think about it, Crowley is... Kind of horrifying sometimes. He's kind of horrifying, but he's somewhere... Between the extremes, I mean, he's not as fucked up as, you know, Haster and Ligger, but he's certainly, you know, not the innocent uh, goody two-shoes of Aziraphale at the same time. David Tennant was so over the top. This is the only role that you could have done that swagger that he did for literally every scene (laughs) and have it be picture perfect. Any other character, I feel like I would have been like, tone it down, dude. <laughs> right. And and I think like it perfectly encompasses that 
that uh, uh, sauntered vaguely downward. He saunters everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like he is the and definition his full of saunter. body saunter. <laughs> I'm doing the motion again. I can't stop myself. I think I. I mean, obviously, it ended up being awesome. I think when it was first announced, I would have been more hesitant on that if I had not seen the remake of Fright Night, where he plays like this super pompous, super pompous, supposed vampire slayer and like expert occultist who's actually kind of a coward behind the scenes. Oh, I saw a trailer for that once. And he's amazing in that role. And it was the thing I was like, oh. Oh yeah, he could play Crowley really well, actually. After that, Tennis his has weird fucking range. He's playing a like <clears throat> serial killer, but one that actually was really boring as a person. Like mm. the only interesting thing about him is that he was a serial killer. Murdered like eight people, <laughs> and he worked very hard to like and agreed to do this because it was some, a way to explore a serial killer without glorifying the serial mm. killer, which almost never happens. Like anytime, like, let's make a TV show about a serial killer, and then we fucking make Dexter. Um, one part that I really appreciated from, from when we watched the commentary version, um, was Neil pointed out the exact scene that he wrote and realized, I need David Tennant to play Crowley. And that was the church scene where he's having to dance down the church because he's on hallowed ground. And he wrote that scene and then went, he's like, God, I need an actor who can not only do the dialogue, but who could pull off this like silly dance thing I've just put in the script? And he was like, I need David Tennant. And he announced this. And of course, I think he said that the producers were like, uh, Neil, no, no, no Neil. And he was like, yes, <laughs> yes. No, he never says if they were no Neil because like they thought Tennant would be expensive or if they were just hesitant to put the doctor in this show. Right. Because, uh, I mean, there's always the danger of... Or or it could have cast. even just been um, scheduling. Mm-hmm. Getting, you know, someone who is in a lot of things. It can sometimes be hard. And so it may have been like, well, it's going to be hard, tough to, like, schedule in. But Neil was like, nope. <laughs> Especially for a 109-day shooting schedule. So That's pretty good. That's for six a... episodes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he already had Michael Sheen by that point. Uh, I do want to talk. Sheen was a funny one for me coming into that because I actually have not seen very many things with Sheen except, uh, anytime. (laughs) The thing I think of him immediately is he's the main werewolf Lucian in the first Underworld movie. Oh my God. I haven't seen that movie since it was in theaters. So, oh my God. (laughs) So I was like, I was like. (laughs) Lucian and the Doctor, huh? Okay. (laughs) He is so good in this. And I do want to talk about other people in it, but this is the perfect place to talk about easily my favorite part of... It might be my favorite part of Good Omens, like book or movie, is the 29-minute cold open in episode three that is just them playing throughout history. Let's get through a little bit of the cast so we don't okay. lose that thread, but I do want to come we, back to that. We have to talk about that. Yeah, we have to talk about that. 30 minutes of perfection. Um, but I also, this, I just also really want to give everyone their dues when Absolutely. it comes to this show. We already mentioned uh, Michael Sheen, David Tennant. Um, who else do we, like, who do we want to go to to make sure to talk about big roles? Because I don't think we necessarily have to list off everybody in this fucking production. But. Uh, I, very small ones, so just real quick. Yeah. 
getting Nick Offerman in for like three lines. Oh, and he was so excited to do it. <laughs> and he was, he was so funny in it. He was so excited. He told, um, he told, because because he you know they had to fly him to South Africa to do that tiny tiny part, like one, and four and they lines. were like they were like we could maybe you know find another way to do this or like schedule this at a different time and not have to fly. And he was like, no, I'll fly to, I'll do it. And they're like, well, no, no, we won't let. Like, cause he was like, I will do it out of my own pocket. And they were like, no, no, we'll fly you. And they're okay like, for you. And, and he's like, they were like, are you sure you, I mean, you only have this many lines. Like, are you sure it's worth it? And he was like, if you needed to fly me twice as far for half as many lines, I would do it. Cause he is such a big fan of the book. And and that warms my heart knowing that Nick Offerman. <laughs> well, and Nick Offerman is so charming and effort. Like, I would fucking hate Ron Swanson with a fiery passion if I ever met him. I would think he was the biggest piece of shit alive. But I love Nick Offerman so much that it just shines through and he's great. And even in this, he's, he's being kind such of a piece a of crap in He's it. being <laughs> such a dick. And, and it makes it just, it's so good. Let's see. John Hamm as Gabriel. Oh, he's so hateful. He does such a good job of making me like, ooh, I don't like you. I get why they wanted to have a more of a representative of heaven to interact with. Mm-hmm. And John Hamm is pretty popular right now thanks to Mad Men. And he's great. He was very hateful. He did a good job. I kind of felt like his role was unnecessary. And it it might have something to do with the fact that they got Derek fucking Jacoby to be the uh, uh, Metatron. The and then they replaced part of the Metatron appearing with John Hamm. And John Hamm is great. I just really, really love Derek Jacoby. Jacoby, <laughs> Jacoby, I'm not sure which. I think it's Jacoby. Derek Jacoby. And so when they brought had him doing him, I was like, but but you had Jacoby. Come on. <laughs> I I love him as Gabriel. I love his he portrayal is of Gabriel. Good. I, <laughs> I think uh I think he suddenly might have one of my favorite little just costuming choices with the extra lilac eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I liked the, the scene where he's like, I want to buy one of your physical materials. <laughs> then later, like, pornography. pornography. <laughs> right. We humans are so embarrassed. <laughs> Perfect cover. Like, I, think, I think what my favorite part about when they do that, though, is that Aziraphale does not act like they're acting out of character for humans either like you would <laughs> just like okay that, that Aziraphale would be like ooh you guys are making a cringe worthy like you know uh, like human aliases no he acts like yeah okay like I'm just... <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Gaiman describes him as the boss that everyone hates to have mm. and that's accurate that is mm-hmm. yeah um and I I see what you're saying about the Metatron thing. I actually agree, but in a, a slightly different way. The thing I, the inclusion of John Hamm's Gabriel in the story changes Aziraphale's arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in the book, he doesn't know that heaven is for the war until he talks to the Metatron. Mm-hmm. And that's like a big slap in the face. And he's like, oh shit, what the fuck? Like in the show, Gabriel makes it very clear to him from the beginning. And instead, he's like, well, there's just a mix up. We've received the same orders, but he's interpreting it in the wrong way. So I just have to talk to the higher power and get this cleared up. Yeah, 
he's yeah he's thinking middle management who's who's fucking up, and really it still is like mm-hmm. you know even uh, the Metatron's middle management right, right exactly, but he has to go through a little more a little more uh, existential crisis of figuring out his place in the story while he tries to tell himself that no, like, (laughs) no, my side really doesn't want what they're telling me as blatantly as possible that they want. We could just keep with some of the angels. Uh, Dune Makachan as, or Makachan? I'm going to go with Makachan as Archangel Michael. She was... Fine. Yeah. She yeah. was the other angels. I like her in the last episode quite a bit. Like her surprise yeah. when she comes back and shit with the the holy yeah. water. Like, oh. Yeah, I oh, think the other shit. angels. Her are... directly interacting with heaven was pretty interesting. Not heaven with hell was pretty interesting. That was interesting yeah. too. That was very fun. Um, I think Uriel, whoever played Uriel, beautiful um, performance. The gentleman who played Sandalfon. I think they're all like really great, and I love the I love the um, oh, uh, ambiguity of the angels. The kind of you know, I think that was really beautiful and well done. Uh, it was uh, Gloria Obiano as mm-hmm. Uriel and Paul Chahidi as Sandalfon. Yeah, I don't want to like sound like I'm dissing on the other angels when I say I just don't have a whole lot to say about them. I thought it was neat getting to see them mostly, but. Yeah, and I enjoy, you know... Uh, yeah, I kind of agree. There's... Yeah, they. I don't think they were necessary really for the story, but I did appreciate how they were done since they were there. Yeah, they they were very well done. They added a nice flavor. I, I don't have anything remarkable to say about mm-hmm. them. Uh, <laughs> Frances McDormand is God. Excellent. She made so many people mad, too, by fucking having a woman God, and I was in. <laughs> yeah, from the beginning, like, I was shitheads mad. They she made many shitheads mad with a woman god. Like nothing against Francis McDormand, but in my mind, just because of where my my fan allegiances You're already go to lie here, that's the thing. I kept thinking of her as the Metatron to Alanis Morissette's god. <laughs> <laughs> god wrote Jagged Little Pill. You know, I, Jagged Little Pill is a way better album than has any so right good. to be. So. It's so <laughs> I didn't appreciate it for years, and I went on a big kick like half a year ago, and I was like, "Oh, oh no!" She yeah, no, it was it like three this. or four years ago for me that I suddenly discovered it, and I tried to get real deep into Lance. I don't care for most of her stuff, but "Jagged Little Pill" is a truly excellent album. Mm-hmm. But that's not good omens either. I can't stop myself. Um, <laughs> she was good as God. The the Black Adam and Eve pissed people off too, and it was another one where Neil Gaiman's like, "Clearly suck it." Yeah, yeah. he was like. He was like He's like, this is a perfect place, you know, having this right immediately in the first episode. Anyone who's going to be pissed off about a Black Adam and Eve is going to stop watching, and that's great. They know what they're getting into immediately. (laughs) Fucking, what was it, One Million Moms tried to do a boycott getting Netflix to cancel uh, Good Omens, and Netflix is like, all right, we'll cancel Good Omens if you cancel Stranger Things. Right, right, right. Like, like just openly dragging One Million Moms, which I am also on board for. Um, It may be worth mentioning Netflix did not have anything to do with Good Omens. That's why that was funny. (laughs) That's why that was funny. Let's see. Who? Who, Yeah, no, no. I was going to say maybe Adam? Adam, yeah. Adam was uh, played by Sam Taylor Buck. Adam's a weird one for me because 
it's a casting that you can never get perfect with the way he's described in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to find a real human child who looks like an adolescent Greek god. Like... And kid actors are a crapshoot anyways. Like, I mean, even, you know, the Harry Potter kids who were really good by the end were pretty wooden in the first... It took them about two and a half movies to learn how to act. Like... Well, and with... With... um, (laughs) This character in particular, they had narrowed... I think they said they had 500 kids... And they narrowed it down to two. They narrowed it down to two, and they picked him because he could do the scary parts. Like, both of them could do the, I'm a, like, friendly, like, kid, uh, you know, having fun in the English countryside perfectly. But they said that um, his scary Antichrist, Adam, was legitimately scary. I think it's also fair to note his voice broke during filming. Oh, shit. And so there's a few scenes where they actually had to dub his voice because... So they used his, like, new, broken, like, scary Mm -hmm. voice for the scary Adam scene still. Um, And there's a few scenes before his voice breaks that they got, but they had to dub... It's like ADL or ADR or something like that, where they fix up a lot of recordings and Mm -hmm. stuff. His voice broke between filming and ADR... So they were like, okay, this will be interesting. Um, yeah. And that sounds I, like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, you know, those are all little things that happen when you have a, you know, a kid acting and you have to pick the right. You have you a know. few scenes where he's kind of wooden, but for the most part, that kid delivers. I think he does a, yeah, yeah I think he does an absolutely fine job. And honestly, he's who I picture when I now read the book, even though I'm just like, this is only kind, I'm only picturing him kind of because I can't picture anyone else anymore, but I can't picture what they're describing. He pulls off rambunctiously charming extremely well. Yeah. Like the, when he's talking about his book and she's like, I'm sure I'd like it. And it's the line from the uh, book where she's like, uh, uh, I'm sure I would like your book endearing herself to Adam forever. Moments like that, he did a very good, very good job, I thought. Yeah. Um, on the note of Adam, we also had Amaris as Pepper. She is great. Pepper She's was very fantastic. Pepper. She's one of my favorite, um, favorite adaptations of a character mm. from the book because um, they change her a little bit in ways that are fantastic. Like they, the changes they chose to make to Pepper... Perfect. Elon, Gal- Elon Galkoff as Brian. <laughs> I wanted a bigger Brian. Like, I, I always imagined him as too. larger, but the kid did a good job and they got the dirty part so He was good. so good at getting just ice cream the, all fucking The way he just himself. like shoves it in his mouth and you're like, oh kid, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he does a great job. I'm kind of gross being... and no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and this one is my favorite casting of the entire series. Uh, Alfie Taylor as Wensley Dale. I don't so think cute. he was so charming. He's so cute. I have never seen a kid who looks more like he's about to directly the next day grow up into looking like Stephen Merchant. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, the, 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 mentioned that he's about three steps away from accountancy at all any given time. Bam. There's that kid right now. Like, and he's just too honest. Like, even playing imaginary games with the other kids, they're like, 
they're like, Wensley, like, you just have to claim you're not a witch. And he's like, but... but I am a witch. <laughs> like... Uh, replacing, having... If they had to have one of the kids do that instead of Pepper's little sister, Wensley's the only character that could have right. worked with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I miss the scene of having Pepper's little sister dunked in the pond and what they, you know, had, you know, it was a, it was, you know, a... Just pushing on the tire know. was not nearly as Yeah, it was a little bit of a letdown, like, but it was still a great way to build the chemistry between, between those kids. That's one of those scenes, too, where... If you watch a lot of adaptations, you're like, okay, I get it. Like, yeah. you're not bringing in a whole separate character that's also a little kid that's going to be hard to work with. And you're not going to dunk scene. that kid repeatedly in the water. Yeah, like, yeah you're <laughs> not going to find a scummy pond and, like, dunk, you know, even if they had taken uh, Wensley and dunked him in the pond. Like, <laughs> what a miserable day of, uh, of being on set for that kid also. Like, It'd be fun the first time. Right, like, <laughs> kind of like in the book, like, yeah, it's fun for, like, five or ten minutes, but eventually you have to go home. Well, filming might take, like, a day. all fucking day, and being, like, 11 and having to be dunked in a pond for, like, eight hours straight would be so terrible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it makes sense that they didn't do it, but um, that's one of those little things I miss. I'm going to just put these two together, even though one of them does get more screen time than the other. Ned Dennehy and Ariane Bakare as Haster and Leaguer. That one's super charming. Not yeah. charming, but like it worked. OK, yeah. Actually, I'm going to stick with the word charming. Not what I would have thought. Like terrible would hate them charming. He said, I smell like poo. Well, that was so good. you got to give him that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> Well, and Haster, uh, Haster's so fucking, like, awkward. Like, he does a terrible job of pretending he's human. And then there's that scene in the desert where, like, he tell he says he has no sense of humor and just, like, roasts another demon. And then, like, two minutes later starts laughing at the joke. Just, like, he's, he did the awkwardness of a demon who has no idea how to pretend to be human. His weird so... horrific screams. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. <laughs> when, yes. When, um, Leaguer gets, you know, melted by holy water and he's like doing this, like almost hyperventilating scream and you, you can't take him seriously, but it's just, it's so funny. I thought, yeah, definitely enjoyed Haster. You don't get as much Leaguer, but he's good. Yeah, he's he lurks, which mm -hmm. is what he's he he's born to he's lurk. supposed to do. He was born to lurk, and <laughs> he does a good job. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Let's go with Adria Arjona as Anathema Device. Do we want to talk about Newt at the same time? Since they're... well, we'll go into Newt next. Okay. Yeah. Just check. She, so she's interesting because she um, says she's one of the few actors in this. I think who was not a giant nerd of good omens. No experience with the book before right. this. She didn't come into this being like, oh my God, I'm going to be a part of good omen." you know? She talked about being a little scared of Neil because of that, though, mm. being like, I'm mm -hmm. adapting your book. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine, like, that must have been, in some ways, a lot harder to, like, find that character's voice, you know? Like, the the actress who um, plays Mary Loquacious was a giant Good Omens fan, and they said when casting her, she helped set the tone for what they were looking for in their other actors. And so having someone who's on the other end of the spectrum who is 
coming in and is not knowing. Yeah. I think she did a really good job on that, though. Like, you know, for for having not been a giant nerd of the book, coming in and creating a very independent kind of character who's also like very independent of other humans, but is also super hyper obsessed and dependent on this book and her place in the universe um, as she's seen it. At times, like I, you know, there's times where she, I think she nails it. And then there's other times where I wish she even played up the, the kind of messy witch a little more. She never landed the crazier parts of anathema as well as she landed like, the serious together mm-hmm. parts. Because Anathema is this really weird balance between this insanely capable woman and a complete fucking new aquarium nutter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Yeah. I don't feel like she landed the nutter part as well as she landed the, like, let's get down to business and defeat the Huns part. She definitely played a lot more into the professional descendant side. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this is a weird one for me. When so there, one of my one of my coworkers, we used to discuss this when every episode was as we were going through it when it first dropped mm-hmm. and stuff. And she's also a giant fan of Good Omens. And after seeing Anathema for the first time, me and her both came to the same conclusion: uh, weirdly too traditionally pretty. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost to the point the book, of taking she's... us out of it at times. Like mm-hmm. very pretty, though. You're right. Um, yeah, she's. Beautiful. And I think they maybe tried to, I think maybe they tried a little bit to lessen that by like her clothing and her hair, you know, her dress. Yeah, I think they, I think they're like, slightly old timey. Yeah, their costuming department maybe tried to, but you can't, you know, change that she's a very beautiful person in, in a different way from the vivacious description of. Um, on the other hand, I feel like they nailed that with Agnes. You know, Agnes, yeah, she is, I agree. She is a handsome woman rather than a traditionally pretty woman. Agnes Nutter, they originally were like, what if we didn't cast an Agnes Nutter and just did this entire bit through wood carvings? Which would have worked. I would have accepted it. But that was the one where Neil heard Terry's voice being like, don't you fucking dare. And then there's one other bit to the casting of her that it runs on the Edge, I don't think it actually is, but it runs on the edge of problematic because of the way that certain words get coded, especially in pop culture. Uh, the only the only physical description of uh, anathema in the book is only a paragraph long. Mm-hmm. And it's basically saying her individual parts are extremely pretty. It comes together in a kind of weird way where if you know the definition and you have the vocabulary, you would describe it as vivacious. Mm-hmm vivacious when it comes to like casting calls and then changing the character to latin x is sometimes i see that um i'm i was glad to i was glad to see how many characters were changed from what i imagined Mm -hmm. was white which is just probably my own privilege more than anything else uh two people of color pepper as we mentioned before yeah uh her uh uh anathema I'm mm-hmm. blanked the name there, even though literally what we're talking about. <laughs> um, but I absolutely see what you're saying with that. I don't think it quite gets there, but it's just a, a trend of things that happen. Mm-hmm. I think 
one of the best things that I've ever seen that actually points out how even sometimes good descriptions can get coded is there was actually a really funny exchange in the sit sitcom The League where they're actually talking about sports players and like baseball players and stuff. And uh, one of the characters shows up and he's like, I'm he's talking about his professional life. And he's like, I met this doctor, Dr. Maxwell. He's a real class act. And the, the guys are, re are immediately like, oh, so he's black. And they're like, well, he is. But how did you know that? And he's like, well, because like sportscasters and people in pop culture that do this sort of thing code these things all mm -hmm. the time. Uh, mm -hmm. If they're talking about a head coach or a player who's known for being good, he's always a class act. Um, and they go into like in baseball, if they're talking about a Latino player, he's always either a firecracker or a spark plug. Oh, God. Oh, oh. you're right. That's all very accurate. And then if you describe somebody as like a gym rat or he's real scrappy, 90% of the time it's a white guy. And then Ichiro Suzuki is inscrutable. <laughs> Oof. Oh, that one hurt my soul. Like I said, it's not... It's not there, it's but not it's... not a bad thing necessarily, but it's one of those things that borders on the edge of like... Ooh, ooh. We can have more roles than that. If the only description of the character is vivacious and then you're going to go um, to Latinx, I'm kind of curious what your other choices were. I am curious who, like, what that casting, like, looked like. like Exactly. You know, did they pick her and then go, okay, let's have your mother, whoever we cast as your mom, also be so that it, like, you know, makes sense? Um, or did they put out a casting call for, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Exactly. And I don't either. I, I, with everybody involved in this production and me knowing like what they're about, I assume that this was all done with the best of intentions, but. As we talked about last week, it doesn't always land, even if it means well, mm -hmm. or it doesn't mean there's not questions. I think Anathema might've been the weakest to me of the actors. But I want to say that while saying that, like, someone has to be the worst. That doesn't mean you did bad by any mm -hmm. stretch of the imagination. Exactly. She did a very good job. She's just the one that landed the least for me. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, there's certain parts in this that I have a hard time imagining anyone else in them. I can replace her face fairly easily. Um, I mean, half the time when I try to think of her face in my mind anyway, I kind of think of AOC because they look very similar. I, Didn't yeah, think I of that, that before. Got to think of that from now on. Yeah. <laughs> and having that kind of similar um, determination mm -hmm. about, about life. <laughs> she could do an AOC biopic pretty easily. I would be completely into that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> um... To to compliment her, we had Jack Whitehall as Newton Pulsifer. Before I fully dive in on Newton Pulsifer, I have to say I believed the romance between White uh, between Newt and Anathema in the show much more than I did in the book. Really, I had the opposite. I thought I thought these... it was way too quick in the show. At least with the book, I like it simmered with me for a bit. I, I guess I can see that. I just I thought their chemistry was really good and like. She looked like she was actually interested in him a little bit, as opposed to in the book where she's like, 
I guess he's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I think part of it is I am not interested in average white dude gets person way out of his league anymore, just because we've seen it so often. And I thought they had an, a bit more actual chemistry in this. Could just be my reading of it. I will um, agree that I, it seemed like they had good chemistry in it. Uh, like, it just seemed to go fast to me. And I, I think, part, oh, mm -hmm. that is very true. But I think part of it is, like, let's, you know, where they have sex, one, they kind of have a small producer's reference, which I love. But she actually looks like she's enjoying herself in it. Well, in the book, she's like, okay. This happened. I guess we're having yeah. sex now. <laughs> and the woman being like, okay, let's have sex, I guess, is a very boring trope to me. So Yeah. But she actually, yeah, she looks like she's having a lot of fun. It <laughs> in looks this like, weird like sex it's, situation. And it's awkward. Like, they make it very clear. It's very awkward that they decide they're doing this under the bed and, like... Never they're even like, kissed they're both, someone before. They're both struggling to get their glasses. You know, mm -hmm. there's like, you know, it's not just her settling. It's she's just as friend, you know, and he goes, shouldn't we have dinner first? And, <laughs> no, and time. no time. No <laughs> time. No time. Like she's she's into it. Like, yeah. yeah. And somehow it is a very like one of the more realistic sex scenes I've ever seen in that way. While still having the like person popping out from under the bed, being like right. over the top, diabetic. The, the producer's reference, yeah. Like, yeah, it's over the top while still being, in a lot of ways, like I said, believable because it's showing that it's awkward. It would be awkward to have sex under a bed during a hurricane. <laughs> it's showing the awkward emotional truth, even if it's not physically playing out. Yeah. Believably, right. right, and the and the play between uh, the characters who I might even be talking about next on this screen, them jumping between that scene and what Shadwell and Madam Tracy. I mean, now we're gonna jump to them. Okay, but we have, but to, we have talk to talk about, about Jack Whitehall first. Yeah, Newt, yes, Newt yes. gets more than just hey, they had a funny sex scene together. Yeah. Like he deserves better. He's great because he does awkward very well and you feel so bad for him god that poor guy gets the short end of the stick yeah it's <laughs> what i like about him and he does a very good job of it here he doesn't just like oh sad guy gets girlfriend as a reward you you understand that like he actually is a good dude even if like some you know he gets shat on a lot yeah he and you tr can... keeps trying hard mm-hmm mm -hmm. He doesn't just get this girl as a reward. They actually seem like they have ways where they complement each other. Uh, and he is charming, sad sack, which is sometimes kind of hard to play off in a real way. Yeah. Well, and he's at no point like going going into this like he he's uh, got the short end of the stick because of his weird. He's a fucking gremlin. Like, he yeah. can't fucking, like, handle technology in a world that is extremely reliant on technology rather than, like, oh, he's, you know, like, got some kind of awkward physical whatever. Like... Is techno-fuck to land so much harder in 2018 right. or whatever this yeah. came out than yes. what it would have been 1990? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think he was, I think he does the part really well. He does the parts where um, he's dealing with Shadwell very well of like, <laughs> you know, dealing with Shadwell's crazy and being very like calm about Shadwell's kind of crazy. Yeah, and then, and then you know, obviously having to deal with Ananthema's different kind of crazy and then his panic attack, you know, he's 
used to things going wrong and to the point where he's like calm about it, Mm -hmm. which is something I very much understand from (laughs) having gone through periods of my life where if something could go wrong, it did. And, and getting to the point of like people being like, aren't you like stressed out and like, freaking out about this is like no that's just all the you time should've, you should have seen last week man uh and he does a very good job of doing that but then when he is panicking in the car like well i i'm very calmly like worrying about <laughs> people getting, shooting, shooting me. getting shot <laughs> yeah i think yeah i at no point did i feel like he was not newton tied to newton yeah the live appearance of dick turpin Yes. I so loved good. Dick Turpin. <laughs> yes. As someone who drove a tiny Geo for actually Oof. I had actually I had tech, two different Geos and when the first one got totaled, I ripped the uh transmission out of it and put it in the new one because I hated the transmission in the new one. So in a way, I've driven three Dick Turpins. <laughs> because there was the third one that was a combination of the two. And that is, yeah, like Dick Turpin, the tiny car. I love that it only has three wheels. I saw those when I went to Italy in high school. Like, and it definitely is the kind of car that if it flipped over on its hood, you could just flip that little fucker right back up on its three wheels and keep going. Last thing on uh, Tied to Newt, uh, before we're jumping to Shadwell. He also played... Thou shalt not commit adultery pulse. That's right. And I did not know that until yesterday when Neil Gaiman mentions it in the comments. And, and he does a really good job of the not being newt. Yeah. Being the serious Puritan who's going to build, going to burn a witch. Yeah. That was, yeah. He did a great job in the dual roles. Mm-hmm. I, I legitimately did not know it was him. And then they said it and I was like, Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Next time I see it, I'll be like, how did I not see that? But fucking legend, Michael McKean as Shadwell. So I, I made this a very, this observation. love Shadwell. He's so, so good. He's so, even Gaiman's like, he's not a good character. He's <laughs> not a good person. No. <laughs> I did make a very funny observation when we were, was it episode three? We, we see um, R.P. Tyler when he approaches Ananthaba. Mm-hmm. And I had the sudden realization that that actor could have also done an amazing Shadwell. He would have been an amazing Shadwell. He would have been a very convincing Shadwell as well. However, I think I almost shit myself when I saw that Shadwell was Michael McKean. It's so good. <laughs> and I and I love, he does a great job of the like, what is your accent supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> Americans can't do a Scottish accent, but it's okay because it's fucking Shadwell. Because you're supposed <laughs> to have a really shitty accent that no one can place. Uh, the, apparently the line when he's talking, going through and he wants to show Crowley the, like, people. And he starts listing off, like, I'll send my f- best people. And he lists a few fake names. And the last one he says is Sergeant Pepper. That was apparently completely ad-libbed. That, yes. Nice. <laughs> and I just, it cr- oh, it's so good. I mean, he's an amazing ad-libber considering his fucking filmography. Being in the Christopher Guest movies... He ad-libs a lot. Uh, like 90% of the roles. <laughs> or the lines. Like, it's insane. Ironically, my first thought was um, 
you know, we're going to talk about Shadwell. We're going to say what a perfect choice of actor he was. And then the main thing I had to talk about is someone else playing the role. But young Shadwell? Oh. Uh, I thought was really funny to see. And the idea that young Shadwell was like this super hot dude wearing like crazy 60s shirt and stuff. Like, yeah. so 60s. That, yes. It made me cackle meeting young Shadwell. Yeah. Someone... I think I think what we what we said was having someone who was hot but just as fucking nutter butters as old Shadwell. Well, there be like raising his hand. They're like, "What's up?" He's like, "Well, there be any witches?" And it, whoever played the muscle in that, but didn't do it. But just the one like weird eye ray. Uh, again, mm-hmm. auto medium doesn't help that if I do this uh, look. But like the one raised eyebrow is just a pitch perfect moment from background character number seven. Um, <laughs> He's probably not who I would have first chose, but I can't think of anybody else now. Love Michael McKean. Yeah. Yeah. So good at it. Uh, and it, it, he's a much quieter one than I imagine. I imagine, you know, Horror of Babylon being yelled much louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still very well done. And the woman who plays Madame Tracy. She's perfect. Miranda Richardson. And how she's horny perfect. she is for Shadwell in every single moment. Every time he's <laughs> insulting her and she just does, like, like just physically is, The bosom is goes like, out, the breath goes in. You realize who that is, right? <laughs> That's... Queenie uh, from Blackadder. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't know if you've ever... Have you seen Black... Okay. I know I have it on uh, our computer. I know what we're getting up to soon. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's um, Queenie. Oh I <laughs> I adore her... Yeah, her adaptation of Madame Tracy is so perfect. It's so great. I love the wig changes they do for her. I love her, um, her whole thing. And she reminds me so much of the drag clown I went to college with um, Carla Rossi in mm. just being that kind of hot mess. It, but just, I, it was, I, every time she's on screen, I just, I, I, I makes me so happy. She makes me so joyous. Anytime she's on the screen. I ended up with a little bit of a crush on Miranda Richardson by the end of this. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, of like, you're not here for adult-oriented massage, are you? Or, or, no, <laughs> or discipline, her, or whatever it fucking was. is just like, her, my oh, knees are, God, My knees ain't what they used to. Like, she's, like, trying to be a seductress, but also is, like, my knees... By the way. <laughs> my knees are not what they... Like, very business about being a prostitute. Like, I'm a 60-year-old prostitute, man. Like, like you gotta take me as I am. Like... <laughs> If we're going to talk about the Four Horsemen, let's just talk about the Four Horsemen as a lump, I think. Because they're all great, but just like... Marie Enos as war. I think what struck me about her is how different she looks from when you first meet her to how she looks by the end. When she's gone full war. That transformation is very... Her transformation is more extreme than any of the others Mm -hmm. I felt. Her yeah. And hers starts earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hungry smile that she gives anytime violence is about to happen was a, a wonderfully subtle piece of acting that is also like she is just hot for whatever is happening right there. Mm-hmm. As we pointed out earlier, by process of elimination, somebody has to be the worst. For me, it might have been either her or famine. I for think me. it was 
No, I actually really liked Famine. I thought, uh, for me, it was Pollution. Oh. I really like Pollution. I, I really think, like all of them. I, I just... think Pollution might be my favorite of the Four Horsemen. I'd agree I, with that. I like going with uh, a non-binary actor for, you know, or a non-binary portrayal for that role. Um, and I love the... Making white look dirty was done very well mm-hmm. in that, which is important for pollution. Yeah, I really enjoyed um, pollution's performance. Uh, pollution was Lords Faberis, and Famine is Yusuf Gatewood. Famine, I think, is actually my favorite of them. Mm. There's just something about him that he's so. I like his smile he's for a, it. And he's compelling in a kind of horrifying way to me. The. I like him more as he goes on. I feel like his initial appearance, he wasn't quite cold corporate enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he plays more of a salesman than a corporate, yeah. mm-hmm. I think. I can see what, I, I, I absolutely see what you're saying on mm-hmm. it. Uh, the Elvis joke, I don't know if it should have been there without the earlier references to Elvis to like tie it together. It, it feels so out of the blue for me in the show. I love that um, apparently that shot where Elvis, not not where you like get a really clear shot of him, but where he's just in the background very briefly. When they first shot that, it was like perfect, except he wasn't there because he had gone to the bathroom. And no one noticed. And they had to re... <laughs> no one realized he wasn't there for the shot. And they were like, perfect, we got it. And someone was like, well, you're going to have to redo it. And they're like, why? And they're like, because... Because Elvis left the building. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, And then that brings us to, I suppose, Death. Brian Cox's Death. Brian Cox is a great choice of actor for Death. I think he's played Death in a Terry Pratchett thing before, too. I think you're right. Um, Let me check that. And you can talk. We didn't get a ton here. Yeah. He does a good job. Uh, I don't have anything remarkable to say about him. He's a good voice for a Terry Pratchett death character. Mm -hmm. I was not as sold overall on the Four Horsemen as I was with most other storylines in this. They had to change, you know, because in the book we get them when a a brief glimpse of them when Adam first comes to Earth, when he's a baby. Mm -hmm. And then we get 11 years down the road what they've been doing, what they've been up to when they get called. But it didn't work well for the storytelling aspect in the in this adaptation as far as the flow and like knowing as an audience person where you were in the story Mm -hmm. but i think in the book that really helps set the tone for the four horsemen a lot better whereas they're kind of rushed in this i think taking out the other four horsemen of the apocalypse takes out some of the flavor of the scenes too. And it might be different if you haven't read the book, but as someone who identified so heavily with the other four horsemen of the apocalypse, I mostly was just feeling their absence in those scenes. I think I wouldn't have felt their absence so much if there wasn't one little weird holdover from, from them in the series. And I thought this was the weirdest thing to keep when we have the introduction to young anathema and her mom is quizzing her on the prophecies. Yes, yes. it's 
I noticed that too, and it it's bugs the me. Four and four prophecy. Right, it's you know the why? Because they were supposed to be, to be in, in there, it. and they yeah. ran out of money, and they were like, "Ah, oh, crap, we have to cut something." But um, they cut it before they even started shooting, which means they could have still changed that scene. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Just an oversight. And again, as I, as we were talking about with who we thought was the worst actor in this movie, some scene is always going to be the worst. That doesn't mean right. it's not well done. I don't really have any legitimate complaints about this show. There are weaknesses, but like the only thought I ha- could could have on arguing why they maybe didn't change that is they may have changed what the interpretation was, which was the four horsemen and the four children right. instead. But if you've read the book and you know that they're talking about, you know, Pigbog. Right, exactly. If you, <laughs> and at that point, they've included a lot of details that you only know if you've read the book anyway. Right. Because they don't... That was the weird thing. Upon rewatching for this and sort of like paying close attention to some details, there's a lot of stuff that they include from the book that they just don't set up. Like when uh, Aziraphale and Crowley go to Tadfield and they fucking... Uh, in the book, Aziraphale fires the fucking, uh, explodes the fucking pamphlet because when they were getting the fucking parking ticket Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as they're running away, that happens, Mm -hmm. but they they don't explain it. And so you assume it's Crowley. Yeah. And they don't have the moment of like, which one? Yeah, that's true. And, or like you brought up the Elvis thing. Right. Without that previous reference. Yeah. It's there as an Easter egg for anyone who's read the book more than it is for telling the story and now. you get the soundtrack that's half queen, but you never get the any tape that stays in the vehicle for two weeks turns into a queen tape. Right. I was sure they weren't going to do queen. And it sounds like Neil Gaiman was also sure they were not going to be allowed to do queen. <laughs> and I think that was a relatively late entrance for them, which might be why they didn't. It didn't make it into the script that line. Because uh, he, as he said, he didn't think they were getting queen until suddenly last minute they're talking to Brian May. And he's like, yeah, sure, man. They yeah. do do some amazing things with that Queen soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I think we'll bring up in just... I mean, is there any other characters you want to touch on? Because there's... Re- Adam's dad is very well done. Done. Bam. Okay. Right. Yeah, whoever did that. <laughs> Super charming. Way less uh, misogynistic. Because, like, the Queen is used in one of the best ways, I think, in the Aziraphale Crowley relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They Which, are directly in love in this one. Even Gaiman writes, says he's writing a romance novel, while in the book it's much more open to interpretation, and I don't mind which either one because, sure, guy-guy romance, great, but also legitimate guy-guy close friendship that they don't make weird is so rare in fiction, too, that I'm actually, in the book, I'm happy with either mm-hmm. fiction. But I love this as a romance between the two of them. I think the first 30 minutes of episode three is the single best thing that they did in this entire series. Oh my God. Mm. Yes. And the first time we watched it, we were just so enthralled with watching it that then when the cold, when, when the credits ran after 29 minutes of cold open, <laughs> we were like, wait, what the fuck? Did, <laughs> what did we start a new episode? I didn't realize, or have we like, have we only been sitting here for two minutes and just absorbed? So in, what in ha- the commentary, and you had to they- go, I mean, we literally, I think, had to go look and see how far we were into the episode to, like, comprehend. And then I laughed so hard when I realized what the fuck they had done. In the commentary, they mentioned that people came up to them when they first showed up. They were like, I was really brave to do that, like, 10-minute cold open. I'm like, my dude, 
It's that is 29 minutes long. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> like that was the other thing. I thought that was ballsy as fuck. When God, you run that, when you run the the title at a time like that, you're saying now the story starts. Right. But you have 30 minutes beforehand. If you're doing that, you're intentionally doing it to say this might be where the story starts, but all of this is critical to know. Yeah. Yeah. I would watch a series that just each episode was those two in a different point in history. I don't even care if there's an overall plot. Doesn't matter. I just, those two are so charming together and every moment they have it, uh, how careful they are with the Jesus scene to not be disrespectful either way. They don't say he's the son of God. They don't say he's not the son of God. Uh, they talk about how their entire goal was just whether he's son of God or not, this is a tragedy. And let's look yeah. at it from that respect. Mm hmm. And then going to fucking crazy anachronistic King Arthur. Like. God, that fucking opening's beautiful. Oh, it's they so They were good. the ineffable husbands. It's so good. <laughs> uh, well, and I also, you know, I appreciate that you, I mean, you know from watching that, that, uh, that there's scenes in between all of those scenes of them running into each other. Um, I also really like, you know, by the time you're getting toward the end of that, you know, they've been around each other for 6,000 years. And Aziraphale makes the remark to Crowley, to, you to Crowley. You move too fast for you me. You move too fast for me. And just. What a perfect, like, way to solidify Crowley's, or uh, Aziraphale's character right there. And and how that just stumps Crowley. He's like. <laughs> Bro. Uh, <laughs> you know, he just got, you know, kind of turned down. But at the same time, is like, does he know it's been 6,000 <laughs> I thought we were playing the long game. <laughs> uh, they describe the, the scene in the church where the bomb is dropped, Crowley saves Aziraphale, as the moment and, that Aziraphale... And his books. And his books. The moment that Aziraphale fell in love with Crowley. Crowley. And you see it. And just that moment of, like, it is a pure kindness from Crowley to have saved those books. Yeah. Just because he knows how much, almost more than coming to save him. Yeah. Right. Like because if he had been shot by Nazis, he would have been dis, you know, discorporated, but they could have given him a new issued him a new body. He wouldn't really have been killed. Yeah. And you like, could just even make the argument that it's almost Crowley protecting himself because he has the arrangement by that point. If it gets found out, he's in trouble even if it's heaven finding mm -hmm. it out. But he saves what is more precious in this world literally to Aziraphale than anything that is books, especially these rare books that he wasn't expecting to actually lose to the Nazis because he thought he was... Also <laughs> just Aziraphale being so certain that he's that like so in these dark black ops and shit and it's fucking... Like that, he's awful at it. He thinks he's double-crossing, but they're double-crossing him. Oh, God. Well, and I love it as, as him being like the proprietor of a bookshop. It almost felt like... Oh, he thinks he's getting to be in one of these stories for yeah. once. Yeah. And it was so cute. And then it like gets turned around on him and then it ends up being cute anyway because of Crowley Just saving him. Just completely different so, way. Yeah. Um, I also love part of what I loved in Tennant's performance and through their little uh, relationship is although it's obvious that Crowley does also love Aziraphale in some way, especially in that moment, mm -hmm. he doesn't consciously realize it until he loses him. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's part of what's reflect what a, 
I loved in the using the queen in the soundtrack because they reflect it very, very blatantly. When he's going into the burning bookshop, they're playing Queens, You're My Best Friend. Mm-hmm. When he comes out thinking that his friend has just been killed in some way, it's playing Find Somebody to Love. Oof, so good. The scene in the gazebo where they're like run away together. That was another one where you're like, that is a love story. Like mm-hmm. you are not hiding it anymore. I don't even like you. Yes, you do. Like, it's <laughs> such a little bitch fight that is so well done. Well, as Neil Gaiman put it, you know, he was definitely writing a love story at that point, And he said, you can't have a love story without a breakup because they have to break up to get back together. And that was very cute. And I, and I super appreciated that. Um, but one thing I, that I didn't think about until watching through this time is that you would expect a zero fail as the like naive, uh, kind of cute and innocent one to be the needier one in the relationship. Crowley is fuck. Crowley <laughs> is so much needier <laughs> than like a zero fail can kind of like, he clearly loves Crowley, but when it comes to certain things, he can kind of take it or leave it. And Crowley's like, goes nuts when he's not getting the attention he <laughs> needs from Aziraphale's distracted by a book or something, you know, and he's just like, like... Pay attention to me now, please. So uh, getting to hear Tennant once again quote Shakespeare to Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tennant's got a theme. His beard looks so weird in that one. Oh my God. I wanted him to play the monarch so bad at that point. <laughs> Also, I, I want him to play the monarch now. Just throwing that out there. I love all of the little <laughs> Doctor Who things they, like, slipped in there. Because I think his license plate is TARDIS backwards, right? Yes. On the Bentley. Sidrat. It's yep. Sidrat. And then um, the actor who plays Adam's dad said his favorite part of the whole thing was getting to call David Tennant Doctor mm. um, <laughs> as he runs in the building. You know, they... I, I love that they did all those little references to Doctor Who. Beyond that, um, when uh, R.P. Tyler uh, goes up to Anathema and is like, are you a person of, I thought you were a per- person of interest. She was on the show Person of Interest. <laughs> oh, okay. Amazing. Yeah. Just thinking of the Aziraphale Crowley relationship, it is very well done, but it's a thing that I think I preferred how they did it in the book, which is different uh, for a specific bit. Which is at the very end, where they swap, and like he uh, he hides. Aziraphale takes a bath in the holy water while dressed as uh, Crowley, mm-hmm. and the other way around, stepping in the hellfire. That scene was so well done. The actors impersonated each other, like in the moment right before they swap, and they're, you know, uh, David Tennant is sitting how Aziraphale would sit, and. And they're on the, uh, they're on the, um, you know, they filmed everything with Aziraphale is always on uh, the same side other than when they're in the Bentley. So they're mm-hmm. always, whenever they're sitting together, always on the same side every time, except in that scene because, well, I mean, they are still they in are. that scene. But if you're paying attention, you realize, well, they switch and then they're like, oh, because they switched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I get it if people disagree. As much as I love how well that scene is done and it is so well acted, it's so funny. 
I kind of prefer how it was done in the book, where it's not they scared them off from certain shit, but Heaven and Hell just being like, let's just pretend this never happened. Mm. Right, that is such a corporate... I liked it a little better. It's a very corporate way of dealing with things. Like, when shit goes wrong at work and it's upper management's, like, fault, kind of. We'll just never talk about this let's again. Let's just not <laughs> talk about this ever again. Yeah, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Um... I did like how it reinforced the duality theme with yes. the fire and the water. Yeah. If you're going to make the choice to do that, they did that scene about as well as it could be mm-hmm. done. And I get why it, people do it. I just. And I think it personal. also also did a good job of showing that while heaven and hell are claiming to be on opposite sides, they are staging this whole thing together. Like the war is. Not really a war, you know, a war isn't something you plan with your arch enemies. And every part of this war is, is coordinated between the two sides. It's more like a football match. The back where, alley planning and like calling each other while getting mad at Aziraphale and Crowley for doing the same fucking thing. Yeah. And, was, I, and it really shows in that last scene, too, where they've like coordinated to punish these two with each other. And I, the other thing I appreciate about that scene is it feels very Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. Like Terry didn't write that scene, but he could have easily. It has very much a feeling of how he would resolve a story. The other, I think the other thing I like about it is because it highlights or it plays more into the big difference between the show and the book. Mm-hmm. I think the book even though we get a lot of Aziraphale and and Crowley, I think holistically is supposed to make us feel more like Adam and realize the potential for good and evil within ourselves and the potential for creation and destruction and all that good stuff. The show is a lot more about both their relationship and their journey in realizing that themselves, and we're more just watching that journey. Rather, I think when you have Michael Sheen and David Tennant, it's hard not to be like, okay, let's make let's them our leads a little stronger. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think you couldn't have done that scene as well in a book because it was the subtlety of the acting mm-hmm. that makes, and it, it's such a small moment, but as I said, the moment where Aziraphale is like lounging like Crowley would and you're like, whoa, I think I already know what was going on, but that is definitely wrong. Well, and even like, you know, when Aziraphale is in the bath and he's so Crowley, like, so, so Crowley. But then when Crowley is in the fire and he does the, like, breathe fire, like, bullshit thing, it's so not Aziraphale. <laughs> That's true. Surprisingly, Aziraphale's the better actor of the two. I would not have expected that. Getting to see the Gavat charmed me to no end. Oh my gosh. It's... Yeah, I didn't know what the Gavat was before he's that. Just like, he's uh, so into it. <laughs> I am good at this. <laughs> Look at me. In a ge- in, I think the fact that it's like a gentleman's club and like you see this and you're like, you're just like, Aziraphale feels like he's found his home and it's just a blip in time is, on the scale of the 6,000 years that he's on that place. Like, it just doesn't last. Aziraphale was born to be an upper class Victorian. okay so the devil actually showing up Eh. also voiced by benedict cumberbatch so wouldn't have ever known don't really care i mean Uh, great 
I don't have any problem with Benedict Cumberbatch, but <laughs> wouldn't have known, don't really care. I don't think it was necessary, but I th- think, like, I think the goal was to better show that Adam was changing the universe in that moment from being the son of Satan to I'm not the son of Satan. Like, I am, like, this is my dad because he's actually there for me. Mm-hmm. And getting, having him say that to the devil's face and being like, like, I, you gave me the power to literally change the universe to however I want it. I can bend reality. So I'm going to bend it so that like the dad who doesn't show up for me for the first 11 years isn't, doesn't get to be my dad anymore. You couldn't have had that without the devil actually showing up. And I think that that was, I think Neil felt it was important to have that bit of like, like it is important for dads to be there for their kids. And if you show up after not being there and try to... You don't get to claim shit. Yeah. I also think it kind of... It makes sense when you're watching the story. It's because built for a more visual climatic ending. While the book, I felt, felt bigger and more climactic to me. That and I, I feel like the average like TV audience... If you go through this story and have it play out more like the book where he kind of just gets rid of it in the background and like a throwaway paragraph mm-hmm. real quick and it like the devil ne- never actually shows up on screen, like you already have God as the narrator the entire time and they just ended the apocalypse. I think you would have just had a lot of people sitting there wondering, like, what about the fucking devil? We saw all the demons ready to go to war. Where was This just yeah. got stopped. Where the fuck is Satan? Yeah. So here's Satan, and here he's going to get told off. I get why it happened. I don't. Yeah, like I think it, it was. Much. I thought it was pretty weak, but yeah. I get it. <laughs> Some things just don't adapt well, and I think it would have been really hard to do the like swap from bit to bit to bit, seeing what Adam has done for his friends and compatriots. That being said, with the that last scene, though, I get why that's done, even if I didn't like it that much. The thing I don't understand why they didn't include, because it would have only added, like, 30 more seconds, is having the them show up with their own versions of, yeah. like, the sword, the scales. the Instead of all of them picking up the sword. Yeah, I didn't care for that as much. Yeah. Probably just less props, because they already had so many fucking things <laughs> that, you know, you cut what you can. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of missed that, too. That was part of the, like, the charm of kids showing up to fight this battle, and they've brought basically sticks and twine and, like, the kind of thing I would have... That if you imagine really hard, you can see what they were trying to do. I mean, like, you probably could have had those kids try to build those things on set while they're just on their downtime, and, like... I would love that, right? Yeah, having the (laughs) 11-year-olds... You know, while they're hanging out in the in the woods. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah, I, I feel like that was a more powerful metaphor in the book by having them do that. But Pepper's performance <laughs> at that part where she... What? Oh, God, what is the line? I wrote it down. It's just so fucking funny to me. Um, I do not endorse everyday sexism, and I believe in peace, bitch. <laughs> <It is> so... <laughs> I, 
like, I want to be that little girl. Like, just, she is so great. And I love that, you know, the, the pepper that we got in the book was a tomboy, which I related to super hard as a kid. The pepper we get now in the, in the miniseries is less a tomboy and more a feminine, like, Actual feminist. Right, an actual feminist, not a, like, I don't like girl stuff because I, it's girly. She is, I don't like girl stuff because that's sexist, to Mm -hmm. call it girl stuff. I want stuff that I like because I like it and not because I'm told I have to because I'm a girl. No matter which way you take it, though, I will never stop laughing at the line, it's sexist to give a girl's bi- a girl a girl's bike just because she's a girl or something like that. Right, like it's, yeah, but that's, like, super... It's also, I get yeah. where you're coming from, kid. <laughs> yeah, it's super, super relatable for me as someone who grew up as a self-described tomboy, like, and now, looking back, I was also very sexist towards females in my, like, determination that I didn't want to be one really classic 90s tomboy move exactly uh, and now i'm feminist you know like pepper like pepper, yeah, girl. <laughs> pepper, pepper grew with me and i like you while know, still being 11 is well perfect. she's still 11 but like you know pepper changed with the times appropriately different from that but just the other sm- uh, another small moment that they changed at the end that i just still loved in the book Shadwell never specifically asks her how many nipples she has. He says, I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to pop the question. Pop the question. And then he did say he did. And then she laughs and says uh, the normal amount or something. What do you think, silly? Two. Yeah. They actually have him ask him in this. And I don't, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but Madam Tracy's delivery of two with the like, son, you're going to find out in just a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till so, you're done with that beer. Was well, such it, a picture perfect delivery right there. Well, and his only, smug little like, like oh, I son, guess I'm going to find out in a few minutes. Right. <laughs> right. I guess that's all right then. And he's got his beer. I think part of what made that so perfect, though, is because he when he says, I guess it's time I pop the question. You can tell she starts doing the little like. He's about to propose, like, marriage to me. Like, the classic, like, mm-hmm. romance uh, woman preparing for the man to propose to her. And instead, he asks her that. And, like, she handles it, as we say, just so smoothly. <laughs> just so, like... I mean, I'm sure she's been asked weirder things in her career. <laughs> right. When you've, when you've had her career. Just get this out there. Adam Tracy deserves so much better than the piece of shit that is Shadwell, but they're so perfect <laughs> together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And I love that, you know, in the book they say Shadwell and then like the very last scene, retired. Tired. And in this, she says like, because he calls her a whore of Babylon again and mm-hmm. she goes, retired. Like, <laughs> I too am, or like, I am now retired. So should you. <laughs> Well, that was a good way to still just work in the little retired bit because the yeah. Sergeant Shadwell retired doesn't work as well. Yeah, they would have right. had to like pop up a little thing, which yeah. other shows, had, but they hadn't done it anywhere else, so it wouldn't have worked. Which you, yeah. I mean, you could have made it work with this with all the little weird stylistic things they do with God's narration anyway, mm-hmm. but or it like would have seemed a little out of place. Yeah. yeah, like they do little sign things with war and famine. And so, yeah, they could have like put something in there, but... Yeah, just working it into the dialogue is a much, much it's more better clever. way of doing it. Yeah. 
I'm sure we're at like three hours at this point. So uh, not quite, I, but we might be by the time we're done recording. Okay. <laughs> so is there anything else? I'm sorry, both episodes in a row, I've been the one being like, we've been going for an hour and a half, fucking stop. No, it's okay, I appreciate this. I'm so sorry, Tyler. Is there anything else that we want to talk about before we go on this? Aziraphale, or I should say Michael Sheen's delivery of, oh, fuck. When (laughs) he, yep, fuck. Oh my God, it's so good. Perfect. You know, that was one of my favorite jokes in the book of, you know, in the lead up to him saying booger and it being the first time he's cussed in 6,000 years. And then like, God, just a few paragraphs later, he like says, oh, fuck. And it's (laughs) just has always cracked me up. So then having Michael Sheen deliver that. So his facial expression, his like enunciation of fuck is just, it's mm. so good. Just pretty much any meme that's like chef's kiss. Yes. Just this entire, I, I feel like this entire series can be summed up. Even the cheesy parts, even the like, oh, you didn't have the budget to do that part. Here's here's my chef's kiss. Crowley's fucking sideburns. Oh my God. Oh my God, his mod look. Or... <laughs> Or, or the, um... The, 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 the oh, the snake the ones snake. that he had. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. Just, wow. Everything, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> I don't even have an... I don't have a specific chef's kiss here. I think I've talked about most of my just, like, oh, that that moment. The... That magic moment. Oh, and the... Oh, that's it. The they're like Crowley focus and he's like I am having a moment. <laughs> then something happens. Oh, I really gotta get over the car like that. Just that's it. <laughs> My favorite Crowley moment might be. I love that they included the plants and the like. Yes. The, it's creepy. The so it's so cheesy that there's literally just people like shaking, <laughs> <laughs> shaking these fake plants, and you know it's it's like. It's not high tech at all. Doesn't like even doing look it. real. But like. it's so funny despite that. And you hear, like in the book, he just walks out with a plant and comes back with an empty pot. In this, you hear the fucking garbage <laughs> disposal. And the way that Tenet, like, casually, like, holds up the empty pot. And it's, it was so fucking fun. It's cheesy and perfect. Like, so good. That dude needs more villain roles. We've seen it. He can do it. Give me a villain role like this, too. Not just, like, fucking sex predator that was the purple man. Although that was really good. He does a performance of a lifetime there. I just... I like quirky tenant better than sex offender tenant. And he's very good at both roles. That's (laughs) the problem, is he's too good at it. You're like, oh, man, there's alternate universes of you. Like, the evil alternate beard universe, Spock. Like, in that one, oh, you are the worst human being alive. <laughs> Recommendations? Recommendations. I am going to go with Batman Knight and Squire by Paul Cornell. Um, Knight and Squire is a weird thing because I just can't get past those, like, weird D-list comics. They originally appeared, or a version of them originally appeared in this, like, throwaway Batman story from the 50s of the Batman of all nations. We're like the Batman of Europe and the Batman of Japan and the Batman of fucking wherever all show up and have an adventure together. And Grant Morrison, being Grant fucking Morrison, comes up with this idea in his head of this entire history of the Batman from Britain. 
being night and introduces like the second Batman from Britain in his JLA stories is like throwaway thing. And it's about this Batman who had originally been Squire, who was like Robin. And then after his dad, the original Knight dies, like becomes a drug addict and like completely falls apart. And his uh, uh, the new Squire like comes in and saves him. It's like, get your shit together. And so there's this this other Batman that lives in Britain that's got this long, complex history that only exists in Grant Morrison's head and like a couple of appearances where you only get like hints of it. And he became popular enough, partly because his suit is absolute fire, that they went, let's give this to a different fucking weird British writer. And they gave it to Paul Cornell, who actually wrote a bunch of Doctor Who and he wrote the... The Family of Blood episodes, the one where David Tennant is pretending to be. Oh, my God, that episode's so good. And this guy is great at, like, let's go over to Britain in the super. He does one for Marvel, too, and see what the British version of the Marvel Universe looks like. Or in this case, the British version of the DC Universe. And it's such a love letter to weird British comics and weird DC shit at the same time. There's entire storylines involving Jarvis Poker, the British Joker. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then Joker gets pissed off that the, he's got this fucking ripoff in Britain and shows up and like where Jarvis Poker, the British Joker, is mostly a dude that dresses like a clown and like does stupid harmless pranks. Joker shows up and like forces him to help him in a murder spree. And this dude's like, whoa, this is not what we signed up for here, boss. Like, uh, so Night and Squire, Paul Cornell. Never going to get a sequel. Completely understand why. Super charming. Nice. My love. You can also just say no if you want. I forgot to remind you that this was coming up. <laughs> um, Be like, don't watch anything. Don't read anything. Stay home. Fucking your- talk to people for once. <laughs> Keep your mask on. God damn it. Um, well, we've been talking about um, Neil Gaiman a lot, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Neil Gaiman, having done uh, this brilliant team up with Terry Pratchett, he also did a brilliant team up with my favorite Mm. musician, Alice Cooper. So Alice wrote an album called Last Temptation. Neil wrote a comic, Last Temptation, where Alice Cooper is the main villain. It is very fun. It's just, you know, the one uh, volume, you know, uh, it's beautiful. I own both the original just black and white version, but they did a, what was it, 20th? It was a gorgeous hardcover, I think at the 20th anniversary. Yeah, I think the 20th anniversary, and they colored it. Um, Absolutely beautiful. Um, Highly recommend it um, if you want another interesting Neil Gaiman team-up. He also talks about... Very different. Yes, very different, <laughs> extremely different, much more, um, much more dark Neil Gaiman than it is um, lighthearted. Yeah. But um, once again, Neil talks about basically getting to work with a legend and the fangirling that happens when you get to work with someone literally with rock star status. Mm-hmm. And the best um, part is the legend also getting to fangirl a little bit, being like, this is a <laughs> right, right. And and for a little backstory for myself, I um, Alice Cooper was in town a couple summers ago and I bought extremely expensive VIP tickets for my mother and I because my mom is a huge Alice fan. And he signed my copy of Last Temptation and he 
the look of joy on his face when that was what I had brought for him to sign. And he talked about how wonderful it was to work with Neil and that he still talks to him occasionally on the phone and how great he is. And Alice is a legitimately nice and cool person. Like he's not, I was so glad meeting your hero turned out so well. I know. You know, when they say don't meet your heroes. Well, if your hero is Alice Cooper, meet him. He is so kind. He is so nice. And I cannot wait to, Hopefully meet Neil Gaiman someday when COVID goes the fuck away right. so he can also <clears throat> sign my copy of Last Temptation. Can I do a very short yeah. second recommendation bouncing off of that? One, just the Alice Cooper Muppet episode. Yes. Um, Muppet Show episode. But second, if you can, on YouTube, he's got a uh, commentary track for it. Oh. Where he's watching some of it and talking about it and how much he loved doing that and how he would just like get into conversations off screen with the guy who was playing Kermit and <laughs> not that the guy who was playing Kermit, right. just with Kermit. Right. And right. fucking, cause that was not the guy that was, that was Henson himself who was playing Kermit at the time. Mm-hmm. Would just talk to him as Kermit just being like, yeah, okay. And how much he fun, wants to talk to Kermit. How, I'm in. Like, I'm was, I can do this. Right. He was like, that was one of the most fun things he'd ever done. And you know, uh, Alice Cooper's live shows have amazing puppetry. Bet you that inspired that a lot. Like, uh, yeah, and I have to wonder if being on The Muppets didn't make him go, yeah, let's get some, like, (laughs) 10 feet tall puppets that require, like, 10 people to control on my live shows. Like, Oh, that's fun. Tyler? Oh, that's fun. Uh, Yeah, I... I was trying to remember. I might have recommended this once early, early that just on. Means we like it more, but it's very like germane to what the actual topic of the show was, not Star Wars that we were on for like thirty minutes. Oh, <laughs> um, I'll go with uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels, the the YouTuber, and I believe the name of his channel is actually his name. It's Dominic Noble. What most pertains and what I'm really recommending is one of his ongoing shows is called Lost in Adaptation, where he does uh, reviews of books that have been adapted to movies or TV shows. And he doesn't uh, he doesn't review them based on whether it's any good. He reviews them based on whether it's a good adaptation. Mm hmm. They can be two very different things, too. Yes. <laughs> As if you go through his episodes, you will find out can be extremely different things. <laughs> um, unfortunately, he hasn't actually done a Good Omens one yet. Um, although he, when it first dropped, he did put out like a little 10-minute video explaining why he hasn't done it yet and stuff. And you know, I think it's going to be coming up at some point. But luckily is another nerd that is going to uh, approach it very carefully as uh, Terry Pratchett's his favorite writer. Yeah. So. <laughs> His stuff is, I mean, I'm I'm recommending The Lost in Adaptation for sure because it's just a really neat way to look at adaptations and, and how things get changed and how they don't and how it impacts stories and themes and stuff. But all of his stuff is great. He very recently did a uh, series of videos that were book reviews of the entire Twilight Saga that are hilarious. So, Dom McNoble, Lost in, Tran- uh, Lost in Adaptation. Nice. Join us next week for some new stuff on a couple different levels. One, Cece will be joining us again, making her not only the first time someone's appeared two weeks in a row, but now fucking three weeks in a row, (laughs) as well as our friend Steven, who was with us on Detective Pikachu and is our editor on Word Balloons. Yep. For the first time we've tried this on... This podcast. This podcast. I'm so excited because these are really fun to do. Uh... Stay tuned for a commentary track 
on for the Star Wars holiday special. Is uh, I got to be a part of one of these for a live one on College Radio. The First time we ever. got to be part of Sorry. Yes, but you're on the podcast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you're here all the time. Fuck off. You're all the time. Um, yes, Zach and I, several years ago on, it was Christmas Eve, right? There was not enough DJs for the local college radio station to cover the whole Christmas Eve, because who the fuck wants to stay in town and DJ for the local radio station? So our um, one of our best friends in the whole world had us come on and we watched this live on radio and it was the first time I had ever seen it. Same here. And God, it was so fun. Um, but I'm looking forward to this time because I can um, cuss on uh, this podcast. Right. And well, and also <laughs> the poor people on live radio, we told them what we were going to do at the very beginning and then we didn't stop. We had no point updated what was going on and you couldn't hear the holiday special. So it was just us talking about what we were watching. Well, I mean, with that in mind, you're still not going to be able to hear the holiday special. No, but we will (laughs) set it up so, like, the, you know, three, two, one, go, and you press play at that point. Exactly. Uh, Right. Um, (laughs) Although there were parts, like the musical parts, where, you know, we would take a break from talking and play that on the, play that on the radio. Um, But I will say there were people who did not know we were doing that who turned to the radio on and then heard our voices and were like, the are fuck's they, going on? Zach and Cece. Is that, yeah, and they're like, are they watching the Star Wars holiday? And they tu- and then they stayed tuned in. Like, they had so much fun listening to our bullshit thing that they didn't even know we were going to do. So I'm looking forward to, um, to doing that again. Kind of a weird episode next week because that will be great, but we'll have no news. We'll have, we'll probably just have that. But, uh. Yeah, unless, like. I don't know. They announced that we're suddenly in Avengers next week. We, there probably won't be news. I am. Dude, if they if they announce that we're in Avengers next week, well, I have to figure we'll out how they know who it. I am. But yes, yeah, secondly, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but I guess in the meantime, that's all we got. So uh, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. At CC. Dismissed. Hi everybody, General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.